I really want to know who are you? <laughs> Fred, do you know why? Uh, you know why we're singing that? Because that's your favorite song. Maybe, but it's also because <laughs> we're about to talk about the Who. Yeah! Ooh, another music episode! I'm excited. <laughs> Almost. Oh shoot! Our guests just left. They, they didn't. <laughs> yep, yep. That was exactly the the response I was uh, fearing, and it happened. Uh, welcome back to State of the Franchise, the podcast that talks about franchises of all shapes, sizes, background, genres, and types. I'm your host Tom Stadler here with my <laughs> companion, Fred Ooh. Dakin. Oh, Fred. How are you feeling today? Question is not how I am feeling today. The oh. question is when am I feeling today? Oh, <laughs> that is an appropriate question and very on topic with our subject this week, Doctor Who. And uh, for those who are not familiar with Doctor Who, it is a show about a time traveling being was a time lord named the doctor who has many companions and outings and adventures through time that's about the most simplistic way i can put it because i don't want to steal anything away from the people who we have here this week fred and we are very fortunate to have two amazing guests join us from the podcast who's doing what now we have vince figaro and beth lewinsky how are you both doing I thought we were going to be talking about the Great British Bake Off, so I'm actually a little <laughs> underprepared. Oh. With that Who uh, music opening, I thought it was going to be um, CSI and any number of the CSI spinoffs. So you can reuse that for the CSI episode. <laughs> yeah, I watched all of CSI in preparation for this. <laughs> oh, no. Even the Bayou episodes. Isn't that like a Louisiana CSI? Where there's like gator detectives or something. I don't know. They drive on fan boats. <laughs> there, there, there's the Miami, and then there's also a NCIS New Orleans. Oh, that's oh. probably what I'm that's thinking. What of. It is. And the detective the gator, stop eating the evidence. <laughs> You've already come up with a better show than either of the shows I just mentioned, Vince. If there had just been a gator that was eating through the evidence, they both would be much better. <laughs> I'm, I'm a pitching machine, folks. Oh my goodness. Well, we can always spend some time afterward talking through our brand new serial that will air on CBS for 20 consecutive seasons without uh, any fear of being canceled because I, I feel is NCIS still going? I'm sure one of them is. The original one that went off the air for the while for a while is either about to or has come back. Come on. <laughs> I didn't make the decision. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and then both of the NCISs are still happening. Or th there's I think three NCISs. I'm not sure how many of those. NCIIs? I don't know what the plural of that is. Attorneys general. <laughs> there's a lot there's at least three of those at some point. I don't know how many of them are still around. <laughs> and you can always bring the stuff back too. I mean, Law and Order just got rebooted. Did it really? Was that the one where the guy got shot that we was just reading about? Uh, I think that's Dallas. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> that's an old show joke, and I know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, clearly you need to be born before like 1980 to get any of the jokes in this one right now. <laughs> well, the good thing that time is not really a factor for us. This is true, Fred, because <laughs> we are of ourselves our own personal TARDIS on this podcast today. Vincent Beth, we would love to hear. First and foremost, your background, maybe even a how you got talking into doing a Doctor Who related podcast, which is excellent, by the way. Again, if anyone has not had a chance to check it out is who's doing what now. You should definitely go and check it out after the show. But also maybe go back even to the start. You know, who was like your first doctor who brought you in? Well, well, Beth, if you don't mind, I can tell the uh, origins of the podcast. And then, please and then do, yeah, please do. Okay. Uh, Beth and I have done theater together for uh, quite a number of years, and uh, we each discovered that we like nerd things, and Beth asked me if I liked Doctor Who, and I said, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Uh, and then one day, as I was scrolling through the sci-fi channel, and I saw something on TV with a pretty girl being chased by a werewolf, and I thought, I'll stick around and watch this. And that episode ended up being Tooth and Claw, starring the 10th Doctor. And I was like, oh, this is Doctor Who. Awesome. Uh, and then I was <laughs> hooked right there from the get-go. Uh, so then Beth and I would have many conversations about Doctor Who and uh, episodes and all that good stuff. Uh, and then the time just kind of felt right to do a podcast. So I called Beth and I called her good friend Chris Puttycomb on to talk about the show and we've been covering uh all of new who which will explain new who for people who don't know uh as well as classic doctor who and that's kind of how the show got started wow and how long have you been doing it for since 2016 wow. whoa yeah i know it feels like a lot longer but <laughs> <laughs> it feels like only yesterday I was saying it feels like we've been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> How did you not run out of episodes? So I um, have been watching Doctor Who for years. So Doctor Who started in 1963 and ran until the late 80s with some uh, some small breaks um, without getting too into the weeds of it being canceled hiatus, etc., and then brought back and then was off the air until a uh, television movie in the 1990s, I believe in 1996, um, that was actually American produced. So while it has a British doctor, Paul McGann, the master was none other than Eric Roberts. So that is something <laughs> to just experience. And then it was brought back for real in 2005 as a, as a series. So um, that's how we don't run out, of, run out of episodes, is that the show has run, it's, it's celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. Oh, wow. Next year. And, uh, sorry, next year. Well, yeah, the time has no meaning. It's a time travel show. Time is a flat circle. Um, so, um, it's a different show. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's a lot of, and the first couple of seasons, they did like 50 episodes in a year. That's right. Out of Whoa. 52 
they did 50 episodes in a year. Um, now we could, again, without getting too much into the weeds, a lot of the first run, a lot of the episodes from the first and second doctor, unfortunately, particularly the second doctor, uh, no longer exist in a format that you can watch them. They're going back and, and doing animated versions of some of those now, the ones that they still have the audio for and some production stills. But the answer is there's a lot of doctor who to watch. Wow. We also will occasionally do um, like sort of a we'll go and do some other nerd properties. So we've done some Star Wars episodes and some MCU episodes and and we have a Christmas episode that we do. And the only thing that the Christmas episodes need to do is have a single actor in it that's ever been in Doctor Who, which is also not a difficult thing to do. <laughs> because it's been on so long and also because so many actors are in Britain are in everything. Uh, so at some point they do Dr. Who, um, but yeah, that's how we haven't, that's how we haven't run out. Yeah. There's definitely a time in this podcast today, a time, <laughs> if you will, that we'll have to discuss some of the people who've dropped in even for just one episode. Cause I was pretty impressed with the list of cameos and just even minor roles for major actors today in these episodes. Yeah, that was one thing I noticed. I was just like, I think of all the episodes that y'all recommended, I think there was a familiar face in every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah, British TV, I mean, they work over there. They are not too picky about the role. It's, hey, I'm an actor, I'm here to work, and this is a role, I'm going in. Right. Yeah, and I think... Um, with certainly with New Who, it's an exciting thing to get asked to be on Doctor Who. When Doctor Who first started, it might have been more of a like, oh, it's a I I have to do a, a robot voice and walk around for an afternoon, but it's a paycheck. But then it, it got to be a really big hit in the in the um, late sixties, early seventies. So for a long time, it's been quite a big deal to get to do a Doctor Who episode, and there's lots of people. Um, uh, Craig Ferguson, for example, was a big, huge Doctor Who fan, and oh, wow. I can't believe they never had him on the series because he's really close friends with Peter Capaldi, who was our twelfth Doctor. So I was always, I always thought he would have a a, a role. On, like if you, I don't know if you watch Craig Ferguson, but he used to. Have, am, I, am I am I getting his name wrong? No, that's right. No, his oh, name right. is the the yeah. former uh, late night host on CBS. Oh, okay, yeah. the hustler currently. Right. Oh. I was, for some reason, it didn't. I just uh, didn't sound right when I said it the second time. Um, but on his desk, he used to have a little TARDIS mug, oh. uh, TARDIS oh. toy, or a TARDIS toy. I forget. But yeah, so um, it's, yeah, it's a long time. There's so some people got there. You'll see people who are now big names who had a very small part on Doctor Who before they were big names, and then you'll also see people who um, are big names and have had a small part on Doctor Who as like a fun easter egg or cameo or something like that so that's awesome it sounds like craig ferguson's uh, relationship to doctor who is like the stephen colbert to lord of the rings sort of deal like oh yeah yeah that's very apt i think yeah. but but uh but like i said um colbert got to be in in some of those movies so i'm i'm right. still holding out for ferguson to get a chance to be in the series yeah, it's never too late as long as he's still around and kicking, right? I mean, right. they can find something for him. Don't jinx yeah. it, Tom. <laughs> I know, honestly. No, no, I'm sure he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Guys, good thoughts, good thoughts. Positive thinking gets us places. the ministers of grace defend us. Turn around for the times. <laughs> so, I mean, that's definitely, I mean, a major perk for the series, I think, is seeing 
the one-off episodes with people who come and drop in for these one episodes. But I guess where we really wanted to boil it down to even before everything else is, you know, what keeps you guys coming back to this aside from the fact that you have a podcast. So maybe you can even talk about your pre-podcast life with Dr. Who, what was something that you were like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it does this all the time. I have to keep watching episodes. I have to keep looking them up and seeing what else I can find from this show. Yeah, I, thank you, because it is how I define my life, is sort of pre-podcast and post-podcast, sort of <laughs> like BC and AD. It's a carbon dating type situation. It's a KT boundary is what it is. If you don't know the KT boundary is, you can actually see a line in the earth of when the dinosaur mass extinction event happened, and it's known as the KT boundary. Oh, wow. And I like that kind of stuff. So Doctor Who's a good show for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so like I said, I... I um. I grew up watching it. I think the first Doctor Who episode I ever saw was probably a seventh Doctor episode, um, just because that would have been uh, in the 80s when I was a, a small child. And then very quickly after, remember seeing third and fourth Doctor episodes on PBS. I was very excited when the movie was going to come out in the 1990s because there was talk that that meant Doctor Who was coming back. And um, Doctor Who was... For most of my, in, until it came back in 2005, so for a good portion of my life, was a, f was a great thing to catch on PBS late at night. It'd be like, oh, they're showing a Doctor Who. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. Um, oh, it's Seeds of Death again, because for some reason it always is, uh, which is a fourth Doctor episode, which is very fun. But, um, and that's a whole other thing is PBS bought, like, packages of Doctor Who they'll sell. So it's like small episode packages. So they just will re-show like the same three from a season over and over again. Um, Pluto TV has done the same thing. So you'll just get, um, uh, so that's one of the places you can watch it for free if you have Pluto TV, um, but you'll only get a very small, it's like a small sampling of episodes, little starter pack. Um, so yeah, so Doctor Who was, until the series came back, was um, an accidental viewership type thing. There wasn't, you couldn't get it a lot of places until, and I think this is actually after the series had come back, but not long after. Do you all remember Suncoast? Oh, oh yeah. 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 Suncoast was a great place to be. And of course it went out of business around the time the radio shacks were closing. Mm -hmm. um, and they had all their doctor who DVDs, which are very expensive because they're come from the BBC and they have to make them with the coding for the U S so they don't make quite as many cause it's a separate market. And so they're harder to find and they're usually quite expensive. Um, so, yeah, so right around the time the first, the new series was coming back, um, Suncoast went out of business, and I just went and spent, like, all the money I had on as many Doctor Who DVDs as I could get. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I grabbed some classics. I grabbed some, I grabbed City of Death, and I grabbed um, some Androids. I grabbed a lot of Fourth Doctor ones and some Third Doctor ones. I also grabbed some real duds, the some that we've covered on the series yet and some that we haven't. But, yeah, so Doctor Who was sort of get it where you can and then uh and then i i had a blissful year where i basically just watched doctor who dvds i'd bought for 80 percent off at suncoast and listened to all the commentaries and and everything from the doctor so that's kind of where i got it until it became easy to find wow yeah that's dedication 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh, my, I remember my brother, who was the person who'd originally sort of shown me the show, um, came home with some DVDs from Suncoast. He's like, Suncoast has all these Doctor Who DVDs, and I was like, oh, I need a ride to the mall. Right <laughs> 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 now, <laughs> so I do feel cool. like Suncoast was like the place to go if you had like a show or like movie series mm-hmm. or something that you were very affixed on because uh, we brought this up on like a previous episode too, but Dragon Ball, that was like the place to find all the new Dragon Ball, like VHSs. And those sure. were not cheap. They're like 20 yeah. bucks for two episodes. It's like, this is a ripoff, but they had all the McFarlane toys and stuff like that too. Oh, yeah. And the theatrical one sheets. And I, th- I think my boyfriend at the time never got a present that wasn't from Suncoast for the first couple of <laughs> years. We were together. <laughs> Because we were well suited to each other in terms of our interests in mass media. Um, so just, I'll just go to Suncoast and then I'll stop at the comic book shop on the way home and get in something. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lovely day. It's a, it's a good time, right? And then, you know, and then we go to like Toys R Us and look at the new action figures. I was a good girlfriend in the, <laughs> in the aughts, man. I'd come home and I'd watch him play video games because I actually like p- watching people play video games. I find it very soothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's how my fiance is, but it's got to be the right games. Yeah, <laughs> it's got to be something with some story, like a Skyrim or an Assassin's Creed or something that's fun to look at. Yeah. Oh, sure. For sure. At the time, it was Final Fantasy, just to date myself a little bit. It was oh. one of the Final Fantasies. I don't remember which. <laughs> Yeah, if it was 10, that's an easy one to sit back and watch, especially for that time when that was yeah. like changing the whole scope of what Final Fantasy could become. Games in general could become for sure. It just never uh, was the Final Fantasy, though, was it? Yeah, no. that's true. <laughs> that relationship or that game? Because <laughs> the answer to that is neither. Vince, what about you, man? Sure, sure. I mean, well, quick aside on uh, Final Fantasy. You know, it's a little bit ridiculous when they have sequels of the sequel. Like, Tom, you just said Final Fantasy X, but there's also Final Fantasy X-2, so... Yes. And then they're going to remake it, and, you know, for PlayStation 5. <laughs> <laughs> they already did an HD upgrade for PS4, so... With, with the second game, which I still just... I can't bring myself to get into ten two. Final Fantasy 10 to upgraded. <laughs> Judgment Day. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Revenge of the Wizard's Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> the Secret of the Use and the Mana. <laughs> what brings me back to Doctor Who? Well, our, well, it's a unique show. I'm a big fan of sci fi, but there's no other sci fi show like it. Um, like there's Star Trek and there are a lot of other shows that are similar to Star Trek. They take a page out of Star Trek's uh, playbook and, and that's fine. They are great shows in their own right. Uh, and even in a show like Star Trek, they do time travel or they find themselves on an old West planet, but they have a lot of, they have to do a lot of gymnastics to get to that point. Whereas mm-hmm. in Doctor Who, you have the narrative device of the TARDIS to get to wherever you want and tell that kind of story. So that's fun and unique. And you have, you have episodes that are funny. You have episodes that are a bit rom-commy. You have episodes that are action adventure. Uh, it, It really runs the gamut and it all feels like it belongs in the show. So week to week, there's a lot of variety, which is super fun. Uh, and you get, 
really rich characters put in unique situations week to week, which is super fun. And the writing is just so great in the show. Like the dialogue is quippy uh, and really clicks along and the actors are great. And all the time that we've been doing the podcast, I can count on one hand when we've noted that the acting wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, there's solid performances on a show that is frankly sometimes really, really ridiculous, but the <laughs> actors are with it week in, week out. Uh, so new who is re- really what brought me in. Mm-hmm. And I started watching it on sci-fi when they would have uh, the reruns of it. Um, and Beth at one point lent me one of those adventures to Suncoast, one of those DVDs. And it was androids of Tara, a fourth doctor story. And I watched it, but it didn't really hook me in because I was such in the mindset of, well, I'm thinking this is like a new Who episode. So there's going to be a twist at a certain point, but there wasn't because television was just different back in the 70s. Um, So I really didn't get into classic Who until we started doing the podcast. Uh, But I do have a really great appreciation of classic Who and uh, really the narrative forms that they had back in those back in those days. Uh, the first two doctors were all in black and white, and there is just really beautiful cinematography that they achieved in television with the black and white film media. Uh, so it's really fun to look at and getting to see the evolution of the show over those decades is really fun to see as we do our podcast, because At the moment, we are waiting for new episodes of Doctor Who to happen. We're probably not going to get another one until November. Uh, So we're using this time to go back and watch those classic stories because we've watched everything in New Who. Uh, That's all been watched, but there's still a lot of classic Who to mine. Uh, So it's fun to explore that. And there are some really standout episodes where it's like, yeah, maybe the film techniques weren't, you know, what we have today, but the story and dialogue is every bit as good, if not better than what we get in new who. Uh, and there are some duds in there too, but some of them are really fun duds to watch too. So, uh, man, there's some wild, crazy episodes in eighties who that we've had the pleasure <laughs> of watching. So, uh, it, it's fun to watch. I mean, it's always fun to watch the stuff that's great. Uh, and then there's some stuff that's so crazy bad that it's fun. And then there's just some stuff where it's like, Okay, well, we're doing it for the podcast. We, we, we're going to fill that hour one way or another. <laughs> I'm sure that adds a little extra something to it then, too, where you can actually go and talk about, like, wow, that was ridiculous what we just watched, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to think, Beth, of what some of the recent episodes that we've gone through. Um, but, I mean, there, there's always good stuff to mine, whether it's like, you know, we like the villain or, or that story or um, seeing what they've done with companions over the years. Uh, so th- there's mm-hmm. the doctor, the main character, uh, but the doctor always has a friend along with them or multiple friends. And those are companions. Uh, so it, it's really fun to see what they give some of those companions to do and how they can help tell the story. Um, but then there's, um, I'd say for me, when we watch the classic episodes of the stories, um, in new who most of the companions have been female over the years. Uh, so it's interesting to see, you know, how powerful or how much agency they would give the female companions. And sometimes they're female companions that are treated really shittily. Uh, I'm not mm. sure if it's been on the podcast here. Um, you go for it. <laughs> I will. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, 
but, but yeah, there, there's uh, some that just like, oh man, what were you thinking here? Because, it, and it's really a frustrating because you had like female characters in the seventies who were treated better and had more agency with their characters than some of the characters that would come later in the eighties. And you think they would get more progressive as time went on, but that's not always the case. So it, again, it, it's interesting to see how the show changes over time and the ups and downs it has. Yeah, I can imagine. And it really has come a long way. And I, I, I know you guys have already shared quite a bit about the history of the show, which I'm very appreciative of. I guess, Fred, one thing I wanted to ask you is, had you ever experienced End of Doctor Who prior to doing your research for this? I had seen a handful episodes uh, before I moved to my place in college. I stayed at my friend's mom's house, and it was the first time I had access to, like, TiVo or whatever it was at the time. And I remember specifically the episode I picked was Let's Kill Hitler. Because I feel like even if you're not a fan or don't know anything about it, you see that and you're like, I, I, I'd like to see them kill Hitler. And you can course, all get behind that, right? Yeah. like, And of <laughs> course, when I watched it, I did enjoy it. I didn't go back to it because it didn't blow me away at that point. Uh, but I did kind of fall into like, I know what the show kind of does. And what I learned was like, it kind of will hit you with like a premise and then, like, a little bit in, it'll be like, but we're not actually doing it about this. It's about this thing next to it. And I felt that with, like, the Hitler episode and a lot of episodes that we watched. Uh, I really like how they uh, go into the different uh, stories. But, uh, no, I like how, um, like, you mentioned that there's always the companion. One thing that I got right away from my first watch is I was like, oh, it's great. There's always an audience surrogate. Yeah. And... It's definitely interesting to look at the variety of companions, though, too. That's something I definitely want to ask Vince and Beth a lot more about as we go along. Because, I mean, you get people who, you know, it seems like they have a lot of personality to some people who it kind of feels like their personality, at least through the couple episodes that we watch, kind of flows from the Doctor. And they're very reliant on, like, their perspective in order to offer something to the story so that's definitely a piece that we should explore a little bit more here as we really dive into the history and for me the first time i watched a doctor who episode was the first recommendation i got from here which was really? uh, yeah i i decided to watch the pilot on the uh recommendation of my girlfriend just to say you know you should try and get some table setting here and the pilot meaning the the reboot pilot with christopher Eccleston is right. Nailed it. Rose. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so that was, that was my first exposure to it. And I knew Eccleston from, well, actually the leftovers more than anything else, which I thought he was great in. And it, it's a very, very dire show to show off his skill set, but he managed to always have entertaining episodes whenever they were surrounding like his story. And I mean, it felt like he's so wasted in Thor the Dark World, especially after watching an episode of Doctor Who. I'm like, what were you guys doing? Like, <laughs> had this guy under pounds of makeup, not saying a word. Like, why? I Just felt bad anybody. for him. I heard in an interview he, like, did all this method acting to prepare for that role, and he's barely in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, Com oh, so sorry, Chris. An utter waste of his talents, uh, mm -hmm. I would say. But other than that, Thor the Dark World is great. 
<laughs> I mean, man, no uh, definitely no a movie I remember exists until people bring it up. <laughs> oh yeah. I thought Endgame had the perfect joke about that of like Thor explaining the plot of the dark world and everyone else just losing interest in the room, except for Paul Rudd, who is just fervently taking notes. It's a good bit. <laughs> yeah. So good. I will say um, two other things uh, as like introduction to Dr. Who in general, it's definitely just from other like TV shows or properties like, um, First one I thought of was Freaks and Geeks. I know they're like going to like some con and they're all dressed as the different doctors, or I know at least Martin Starr has like the big scarf. And then whatever the fake show and community probably drew my skepticism about Doctor Who, how <laughs> over the top is. But after watching some Doctor Who, I will say it does go to that at times. (laughs) Like that crazy. For sure. And don't you want to see Inspector Space Time as a real TV show? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, goodness. I've, um, I'm, I guess it should just be said now, I have been to multiple Doctor Who conventions. Ooh, really? I have indeed. I have indeed. Um, and this was before going to comic book conventions was like a thing to do. You know what I mean? Like there were sci-fi conventions and obviously Milwaukee has a rich history with uh, Gen Con and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, like I've, I went, I've gone to Gallifrey one out in um, California. I've, I worked at a Gen Con here in the doctor who section and had to take a Cyberman costume off of a mannequin. Oh, wow. <laughs> It probably should not have been allowed to do because I'm sure it was worth more than my, you know, life savings. And I was like 12. But yeah, so uh, it's it's hard to. Yep. there. Oh, that's right. And of course, um, Vince oh right now is, is showing a picture of a time that he and I went to uh, Chicago Comic Con and met David Tennant, the 10th Doctor. We've tried multiple times to meet Matt Smith, but he's always off doing a movie that doesn't turn out as good as anyone hopes it does. Get this guy a good movie. Uh, but yeah, so it's definitely, uh, I mean, Doctor Who is a touch point in culture, whether or not you realize it is or isn't. Like there's there's Rick and Morty episodes that are Doctor Who spoofs. There's um, anything that touches on time travel is going to have some element of Doctor Who in it, I think. I mean, since 1963, right? Right. And I think that's a perfect segue to get us into a little more of the history of Doctor Who, which we've had quite a bit to share so far. But let's really start from the top one more time. That's a Spider-Verse joke for all you people out there. (laughs) (laughs) So, as you mentioned, Doctor Who started in 1963, first Mm -hmm. appearing on the BBC November 23rd of that year. So Sidney Newman was the man responsible for developing the program. I loved on the the Wikipedia, by the way, just a quick aside, all the British terms throughout all the, like the articles and everything related to it, like program with two M's and an E. And I'm like, okay, here we go. That Doctor Who Wikipedia, that's a big Wikipedia. That's a thickopedia. Like I was trying to go through it to like get some notes and I got what I needed, but wow. They should make that like a coffee table book or something. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I don't even know how much I even need to do here. Vince or Beth, do you, do you want to take it from here and just go and try to like walk us through a little bit of the history? 
Sure. Uh, well, well, Verity Lambert is another person we'd want to mention as cre- being credited with uh, getting Doctor Who sure. started. Uh, she was, was she the first or one of the very few first uh, female producers with the BBC, Beth? She was one of the first, um, but she was a producer on this from the start, which is something that was especially rare at the time. And uh, so, yeah, so Sidney Newman was behind it and he was sort of the well-established person who kind of got it off the ground. But Verity Lambert was, is really credited as the person with like the, the person who, who made Doctor Who possible. And she also made a lot of the, I mean, it was a large team effort, but she made a lot of the decisions that led to Doctor Who becoming what it is. For example, she's the one who pushed for the Daleks to be in an episode when Newman didn't want any, didn't want to go the the robot alien way. And of course, the Daleks were the thing that kept Doctor Who on the air in the very beginning when it wasn't quite getting the numbers. There are anywhere between, what did we say, 14 and 16 Doctors, depending on how you count them. But the other thing about Doctor Who that's interesting, and I'll just say this here, and then Vince, you can jump in with any other history that you want, is that there's the Doctor Who official canon is a difficult thing because Mm. there's a Doctor Who television series and pretty much anything that happens on the television series is considered canon. But then there's also Doctor Who radio programs for the BBC, right? So those are also done by the BBC. Then there's audio stories that are done by Big Finish. Then there were novelizations of the television show, but then there were also other novels. And then there were also stories in spinoff media, uh, like Doctor Who magazine and a bunch of other things. And there is nowhere where it says it's not like, for example, Star Wars now where they say only the film and television shows are canon and none of the expanded universe books are Mm -hmm. right. Doctor Who has never done that, really. They've never said this is canon and this isn't canon. The other thing is that the the way that the copyright laws work is the villains are create are owned by the writers who created that villain. Oh. So some of the Doctor Who villains appear in other media without the Doctor as their own property. Huh. That's wild. The main Doctor Who series has had a number of spin-off series that those are generally considered to be canon, but because they're spin-off series, um, sometimes they contradict the main series. The main series has contradicted its own timeline on a number of occasions. And uh, and there's even there were two Doctor Who movies that basically retold episodes of the story but changed the Doctor Who character in uh-huh. some way. So it's it's difficult to say um, for the purposes of the podcast, we generally deal with the television episodes, what was on um, the, the television movie and then um, official audio releases. So uh, we've done big finish ones for gotcha. that. Yeah. So it's a little. And the reason we say there's up to 14 doctors is so. Can I jump in at that point? Yeah, go ahead, please. You take okay. it. Right. So, um, and then also just give a little context of when we talk about classic who that is the original airing of the series, which ran again from 1963 to 1989 before it was canceled. Okay. In those years, as Beth said, like it ran for 50 weeks, but it, it was a much different program than it was today, where today you get episodes that are, you know, 40 to 50 minutes in length. Back then the episodes were like 20 to 25 minutes and it would take four episodes or more to tell a single story. So it was very serialized mm-hmm. in that way. And it was and still is a family show, uh, but definitely in those you know, early days skewed a bit more towards kids. Uh, there was the 
view that they would have shows that would be set in the future and would be a little more educational mm. based uh, or set in the past and be educational for historical context. Uh, then they moved on from that to more action adventure stories uh, is what we get in the intervening years. And uh, they tell different genre stories throughout. So our first doctor was portrayed by a man named William Hartnell, mm -hmm. and he had health issues that affected his performance as his time went on. And also when you're working almost every week uh, in a year to produce a show, that's going to put a lot of strain on the body. So uh, on our show, we do trivia segments. And sometimes when we're watching a story, we'll like the doctor will suddenly get conked on the head and be missing for an episode or two. That, that gets written into the script so that actor can take a break. <laughs> Like that's how often they were producing wow. the shows. So he was, uh, health was not great, but they want to keep the show going. So they built in this idea of regeneration when the doctor is, uh, very ill or gets injured or near death. Uh, the body can regenerate into a new form, AKA a new actor. So we then move on to an actor named Patrick Troughton, who is our second doctor. And then we get a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, uh, and seventh doctor. And the seventh doctor completes the run of the classic series. Mm -hmm. uh, then that TV movie Beth mentioned, we get our eighth doctor. And the new series, we start with our ninth doctor. So New Who, from 2005 to present, we have the ninth through what will soon be meeting the 14th doctor. And it's a continuation of the classic Who, but they do make a really convenient jumping on point. So if you were to only watch New Who, you would be fine. You do not need to go back and watch Classic mm -hmm. Who, but Classic Who is out there. It, it is available to stream what is available out there. So you can go back and watch it, and we can give recommendations of stories to watch. But uh, Beth also mentioned uh, about first and second Doctor stories being lost. So about that uh the bbc had what was called the wiping policy where like okay we'll hang on to this tape for a little while <laughs> but money and resources are tight so we're gonna need to reuse that tape so they wiped the tape and put another show oh, on it gosh <laughs> without any forethought of this we should hang on to this or someone may want to re-air this or like this is something we should hang on to just like nope it's wiped. It's gone. Uh, and it wasn't just Doctor Who. They did this with like all of their BBC programs. Uh, yeah. So a lot of these, a lot of those shows in the, for the first two doctors have been lost to time. Uh, there have been efforts to recover them because they would send tapes to, you know, across the seas. Uh, so like there have been tapes found in Australia. Um, I think Nigeria, they've also mm -hmm. found tapes uh, and those have been <laughs> sent back and then restored best they can. Other programs have been found because people like stuck a camera right on their TV because yeah. of course before VCRs, <laughs> And those are called telerecordings. And that's how we have preserved some of these classic episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah, just a quick jump in there. Like, there was no home video market and there wasn't syndication at the time. So there wasn't it. So everybody's like, wow, this is so uh, myopic to not save these for the record. Well, back then they didn't save that kind of stuff from the record because nobody had taught. What was the record? You know what I mean? Nobody's there was no way to watch this again. They they might re-air it later, but also um, actors and uh, people who worked on this were like, well, then how do we get, you know, you can't just show something we were in in perpetuity because we'll never work again. Right. Right. 
if you just have if you save everything we've ever done and just reshow it endlessly we got paid you know now of course with syndication and the aftermarket and streaming and all that kind of stuff it's built into contracts to say what happens if this continues to be something that people can watch um forever but you know in 1960s we're not that far out from just recording theatrical productions and showing a lot of these you know a lot of these actors were known from you know theater on the air which was just literally okay just do a play and we're going to put a couple cameras on it and people will watch a play on their television um so it's a very different way of thinking about how to present television as well and what's interesting sorry i'll let you go back to talking soon vince is that doctor who and this is was part of that thinking about like these are things that people are going to want to see again so eventually by the time we get into the third doctor it actually that policy and the fact that people wanted to be able to go back and watch those doctor who's and and the american market wanted to be able to share them and stuff um actually helps in some ways to bring about them no longer doing that and then of course everything gets much cheaper to produce you have you know film versus video you have cheaper ways to do things so there's a number of things going on both um in the cultural zeitgeist and in the technological advancing that's changing how that is but it it's important to say that there were things culturally that were happening as well and that nobody was saving the tapes of stuff back then uh the bbc gets told like oh the bbc nobody was keeping tapes of stuff yeah my my dad did that with my like school recitals all the time (laughs) we don't need this anymore the fugitive's on today (laughs) yeah Somebody take over my recording of the secret of Nim with a football game. Oh, once God. I was just about to say that I lost the rescuers because my dad taped Super Bowl 31 when the Packers won for the first time what in 30 years. Dad's not wanting children to enjoy mice films. No secrets of Nim. No rescuers. We're watching football. Man, my kids will never know that trauma. They can watch any mouse movie anytime, anywhere they want. Right, They're all so on lucky. Disney Plus. <laughs> yes, it's all there. It's all there. <laughs> I suppose we could talk a little bit about there's the so the show runs until 1989 and then gets canceled. And there's uh, reasons for that happening. You have a lot of writers and producers over those years, uh, but then the BBC, so they have their different divisions, and uh, Doctor Who fell under the provision of uh, BBC drama, and at various points, the head of drama, the BBC was not a fan of Dr. Who. Uh, So the budget was always tight for the show, but then at some points the budget got tighter and tighter and tighter. And then the show, because the higher ups again, not fans of the show, uh, programmed it against other very popular shows to further push down the ratings. But even though that's happening at the top, there are creative decisions happening with the show that are just <laughs> flat out bad. Uh, and when you compare like late eighties, Dr. Who to what is happening with uh, at the same time, Star Trek, the next generation and just the visual aesthetics of those two shows, it's night and day and more than just visual aesthetics, the writing that they're turning in at that point, unfortunately is not good. Uh, like the actors are trying their best. They're doing, giving it their all, but man, a, a bad script. There's just not a lot you can do with it. So the show does, uh, get canceled then like at one point it gets canceled, but there was a, a fan outcry. So it just kind of sat mm. for, I think about a year and then it came back. Uh, but then ultimately 89, they just, uh, didn't officially cancel it, cancel it. They just didn't renew it. And by that point, the ratings were so low and the 
popularity of the show had dipped. So it was like, there were fans that helped keep it going. There's a Doctor Who magazine that is still running today. Wow. That was something that helped keep moving along. Uh, Beth mentioned there's audio productions. So that was another way that they helped keep uh, the spirit of the show alive. And that 1996 movie, with, although not successful, was in part due to efforts to get the show going again. So uh, there's always been a rabid fan base. And like that's one of the reasons why I put it among the three pillars of major sci-fi next to Star Trek and Star Wars. It's that important and big. For more on Star Trek The Next Generation, check out our recent episode on that. It was a good one. It was a good and one. And I know you're, you are a, a big Star Trek fan vince and if we if we got off on a tangent i'm i'm sure we could go for a while but it is interesting that you bring up those comparisons because i definitely got even a little of those vibes in the newer episodes uh fresh off watching a show like strange new worlds where you are kind of comparing sort of like the story of the week and i'm glad they went back to that that model because i felt like that was a perfect segue to get into some of the episodes that you guys were even talking about with Doctor Who, and I know we're going to talk a lot about New Who here too, and uh, you had provided a, a lot of recommendations for Fred and I to watch, and I'd love to dive into a few of those episodes just to talk about why some of those stories are good and are so memorable for both you and Beth, and even getting into, you know, why do these represent some of the best parts of the series for you? Cool. Take it away. Oh, I, I meant continue to go. <laughs> Please. I honestly, every week I do like the history and this is so wonderful to hear like people who just know all the bullet points that you want to share about this show. And I don't have to try and bullshit through it and be like, well, so this guy looked at it. That was great. On to the next thing. <laughs> and there are certainly people that know more than us. You know what I mean? Like I've, we've, we've gotten as much. I don't into buy it. it. truly grew up with it right and and who are understanding the sort of all the things that are going on but um uh so there's i'm sure there are people listening to this right now who probably are going but you forgot to say this and you don't quite have that right and everything and yep absolutely and um we can always stand to be corrected but yeah there's i mean there's a lot to there's a lot to talk about absolutely Yeah, as far as new who goes, like there's like it's kind of divided up into eras over uh, who the showrunner is. Uh, so there was a guy, still is a guy. Uh, his name is Russell T. Davies, uh, and he brought back the show in 2005. And there was a lot of success during his era. There was obviously the main show, Doctor Who, and then he had spinoffs. There was a show called The Sarah Jane Adventures based on a classic companion that was geared more towards kids. And there's another show called Torchwood geared more towards adults. And then after Davies left, because he had been working on the show for like four, five-ish years at that point, he just wanted to move on uh, to new projects. And there was another man that came in, Stephen Moffat, uh, who contributed some episodes during the Davies era. And then we got uh, Stephen Moffat and his time. Uh, so in the fan community, there's like folks who are, I'm on team Davies or I'm on team Moffat. Uh, and really mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's Dr. Who it's ice cream. You're getting good stuff. Uh, so like there are differences between their two writing styles and there is a notable uh, change in the show, but that also has to do with the production. Uh, like when Stephen Moffat takes over the show, then switches to the HD format. Uh, so production value is increased just to meet those HD needs. And then recently uh, Stephen Moffat 
uh, left, well, a few years ago now, and uh, another man named... Chris Chibnall? Yes, I forgot his name. Okay, I wasn't sure if you were Chris being... Chibnall. So Chris Chibnall is... Um controversial as a showrunner oh. so i thought vince was doing a bit <laughs> so, that's, so i was like i'll just let him i'll let him land this joke oh no he forgot <laughs> he forgot um, <laughs> which is a joke i wanted to throw too uh yeah so yeah chris chibnall he's notable he brings us our he casts our first female doctor jody whittaker because up until that point it had only been dudes who played the role of the role of the doctor in the show's history, we have like the Doctor is a, a Time Lord. That's their species, uh, and we had met female Time Lords, uh, and then in New Who, we begin to establish that when a Time Lord mm. regenerates, they can switch genders. And indeed, we finally see that happen with the Thirteenth Doctor, as portrayed by Jodie Whittaker. Um, and a lot of fan excitement to see the first female Doctor, and unfortunately, the writing misses the mark unfortunately a lot of the time during the chris chibnall era and notably he takes a big swing and although as beth was talking about canon before canon is kind of a mess on the show um he tosses a big wrench into the canon uh which uh, upset oh. a lot of fans but uh there are newer fans that may in, in chibnall's defense uh to be that guy uh He's tossing that wrench in there to possibly open up new possibilities for the show. From my perspective, personally, I think it comes down to execution uh, because there's another canon upending thing that happens during the Stephen Moffat era, but <laughs> that episode is really good. So it, it's like, oh, okay, I can accept that wrench being tossed in there. But when it happens during Chris Chibnall's episode, it's not a good episode. So it, it's oh. a tougher wrench to swallow or pill. I will say as someone coming into this and not watching very many episodes, I could feel the difference, but part of that is because I'm a Sherlock fan and I could feel that Stephen Moffat touch in episodes and it felt like just nice hands holding me like, oh, you're new to Doctor Who? Let me take you in. Let me show you around. And mm -hmm. it was really nice. Those were like, at the end I'd see who wrote it and the episodes I loved were all Stephen Moffat episodes. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah. Stephen Moffat and Paul Cornell were uh, two names that you would have seen a lot on our short list of recommendations. If you had given me 10 episodes to give you titles of, uh, you, you would have gotten a lot more uh, Paul Cornell. I also realized I left off an ex exquisitely written Neil Gaiman episode. I saw that was a thing. Yeah, um, there's uh, so please if you if you have fallen for Doctor Who and you'd like to watch more, please watch The Doctor's Wife, um, which is a fan fantastic episode. Uh, it it means a little bit more to people who are big on Doctor Who, but I think you've seen enough of it now to understand um, the Doctor's relationship to the TARDIS, and I think that's all I want to say oh, nice. about that. Ah, but, um, but yeah, Neil Gaiman has written a few. He also wrote Oh Silver Nemesis. Nightmare and Silver. Nightmare and Silver. Silver Nemesis Nightmare. was an original Doctor Who episode that I don't recommend. It's quite boring. Um, but <laughs> Nightmare and Silver is yeah. the other well, one. We're yeah. about to get a fresh dose of Neil Gaiman coming up here on Netflix, too, with the Sandman series. So I'm I'm very intrigued to see what his spin was on Doctor Who before he gets into it, because I never got to get into the American Gods series. But 
uh, another book of his that I loved. So when you say Neil Gaiman wrote a little bit of Doctor Who, uh, my ears perked up instantly, <laughs> kind of the same way Fred's did with Stephen Moffat, even though I did like Sherlock as well. Uh, let's talk a little about some of those episodes and some of the Doctors in this new Who era, because I feel like this is probably the space a lot of people are living in right now, as much as classic Who set the groundwork for this. We had, as we've mentioned before, Christopher Eccleston come in here in season one and kind of set the tone for what this new who is going to be under Davies watch. Uh, so I guess what were some of your favorite parts of what, where this new who started to go and, you know, what are some of the things that you liked that Eccleston kind of brought to the table, especially in like an episode like father's day or uh, the empty child. So Eccleston has a tough job, right? And, and Davies has a tough job and um, Billy Piper, who plays the companion Rose have a tough job, which is that this is a show that was beloved and um, has tried to come back once before and the lead up to it coming back. I mean, I think we found it in like 2003, it was coming back. So, I mean, just could not have had more pressure on it. And the first lines Christopher Eccleston says at the Doctor Who Okay, so I was upset that the um, movie in the 90s was not good. Uh, Paul McGann is a great doctor. I think he's fantastic. He does a lot of audio um, stories now, and he's fantastic. He is not given anything to do in the movie, and the movie's not good. And so that was a little heart crushing. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very much like, yeah, the new Doctor Who's back. Okay, fine. I guess I'll watch some and it'll suck and I'll go. And then um, you, Christopher Eccleston says a single line and all of the tension and cynicism fell away. It was like, oh, this is going to be good. Like, this is going to mm -hmm. be fine. And not just fine. It's like, oh, Doctor Who's back. <laughs> and I don't think he gets enough credit for that um, because he only had that one season, but you have to, it's not even sticking the landing. It's, it's getting the jump, right. You know what I mean? Like I don't even, it's and, and nothing but pressure. And he's, he's, um, the fun thing about Dr. Who is that because there's a different doctor every time, every version of the, and the reason you, explain it by the doctor is because every version of it is a little bit different because every doctor is bringing a different kind of energy to the story. Of course he is. And so the stories that surround that character are different and have a different energy. And, um, Eccleston nails it in that he is instantly, of course he's doctor who, and also not like any other doctor we've sure. seen. He's entirely himself and yet somehow entirely fits within he's uh, he's in he's in his own box but that box is inside of another box and it's the doctor <laughs> who box and the reason those boxes fit together is because they're in two different dimensions which is how the tardis works um <laughs> vince rolled his eyes so hard at my um tardis joke but yeah so that's my thought on on eccleston uh vince yeah yeah eccleston is a tremendous actor and that first season they are doing something different with the show that they hadn't done before. Um, notably during Eccleston's first year, they introduced this idea mm. of romance between the doctor and the companion. And that was not something that happened in classic who there might've been some flirtatious energy here and there, but it was never like explicitly explored as it is with uh, Eccleston's ninth doctor and Rose. And Davies, our head writer, gives the Doctor a real character journey, and that's something else that is 
fairly new to the show because previously it's you have this amazing individual plopped into a fantastic situation and he uses his mind and natural talents to work his way through the problem. The companion uses their, you know, most of them are from Earth and they have that everyday sensibility and perspective that the doctor doesn't have by being a human that they can use to infuse their contributions to the story. So that gets really amped up and focused in on with Rose, the companion for the ninth doctor. So uh, it's a really new focused viewpoint for the companion uh there's new territory being tread with the ninth doctor and the first episode you see him you really see a lot of character growth with where he lands in his final episode it's such a rewarding journey uh so yeah he's a really great doctor and unfortunately we don't really know the whole story but the best reports we have are Eccleston and Davies mm. kind of clashed a little bit offset. Uh, and that's why he's only around for that first season. But uh, Eccleston has started to go to Dr. Who conventions and he does see that, you know, he was loved as the doctor and he admires that and uh, respects the fans a lot. Uh, he has since gone and done some doctor who oh. audio dramas uh, reprising his role as the ninth doctor. So it's, it's fun to revisit his uh, doctor again uh, in that. So yeah, he, he's a really unique individual. And even though he's only around for the one season, we've talked to many people who say that Eccleston is their favorite doctor, which wow. is great. Yeah, the Eccleston like kind of journey based on the little knowledge that I have really remind me of like the 89 Keaton Batman. Like you have this old 60s Batman or 60s whatever Doctor Who that's probably a little more crazier, a little more geared towards families, kids. And then he's kind of like this darker, like darker, you know, character. He's got his leather jacket. And he probably had to deal with a lot of skepticism being the new doctor, but uh, I quite enjoyed his performance. I liked that he had kind of an edge to him. Yeah, he was a, yeah, sort of a saucy doctor, right? And <laughs> it's still very funny. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we'll get into some of the personalities, too, of, of these newer doctors, because I try to contrast him even with somebody like Peter Capaldi, who brings a grumpiness to the role that um i'm so glad to that we we watched uh that episode um heaven sent because i was like whoa that's a complete 180 from the episode we saw with him where it's like i think it was like mummy and the orient express and I was like, I don't know that I dig this. And then I was like, well, okay, I see what he's doing now. And when he has a chance to to grow with it, it's a little more. But getting back to Eccleston, though, yeah, there's definitely, he had a hard job, as you guys mentioned. And it was really something that I think, truthfully, I think he he nailed it <laughs> coming out the gate. Oh, he, he absolutely did. I mean, there are, I mean, we recommended strong episodes for you to watch to get a good flavor of him, but there are also episodes that, uh, Fred, I think the Batman comparison is good because yes, by and large, he is kind of taking on that Keaton Batman where it's uh, a more mature, uh, character, but there are some episodes that are just full of camp. There's one storyline we did, we saved you from, uh, but it features farting aliens. Oh no. And it is just, <laughs> it's bad times at Ridgemount High. <laughs> I would uh, not recommend it. 
Uh, yeah, so there's some stuff there that that's not great. It, it definitely walks that line of like, okay, this is a brand new Doctor Who. It's it's more mature, worth being serious, but also we're kind of cute and fun, and there's farting aliens. <laughs> <laughs> So from Eccleston, then we also get a quick turnaround, as you mentioned, because then he ends up exiting the series right after some some tips offset with Davies. And we get who uh, for, forgive me if I if I'm overstepping my balance, but calling him probably the fan favorite doctor with David Tennant. I don't think you'd be step, overstepping your bounds. Uh, I would equate it that you know, as Tom Baker is probably the most popular classic doctor, David Tennant would be the most popular new who doctor it's close between david tennant and matt smith matt smith was beloved as well david tennant had i would think the widest appeal outside of the doctor who core audience if that makes sense partly because david tennant was a fairly well known actor already in in england in britain more so than maybe some of the other actors. I mean, Eccleston had done some things. Matt Smith was very, very young, so he was um, had not had not done as much at that time. But um, Tennant had done some serious work before, and also Tennant has done a lot of stuff. I know this podcast has talked about David Tennant before. Um, has done some, <laughs> has done some other um, has done some other uh, a lot of other things since. So I think he has. I think you'd probably, if you ask Doctor Who fans, who of the new series was their favorite, I think you'd get a lot of people saying Matt Smith, but I think you'd get sort of the broadest category of people. I know there are people who have only watched the David Tennant episodes, who like, just like, who maybe weren't so much fans of the show as they were of his Mm. performance as the Doctor, and that's not to take anything away from him, they just really liked him and he's a fantastic doctor. Um, and he is also the show at that point find, has found its footing a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, the first season of a show that comes back is a shakedown cruise. Right. So, um, interestingly enough, there is a video property called shakedown, which is about a doctor who villain called the Santarans, mm-hmm. uh, that is written by the person who came up with the Santarans, but does not feature doc- feature doctor who, because he owns them on their own. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. But anyways, it's a shakedown cruise, right? So the first season has to get some of the bugs out. And by the time you get the second season and David Tennant there, you you, you don't go off the rails mm-hmm. as often. And you don't get any aliens that fart. <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah. So he's he has broad appeal. Um, Matt Smith was also equally beloved. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Matt Smith is, spoiler, my favorite doctor. But I did go to a wedding uh, and there was a woman with a British accent. So we got the talking and then, of course, found out she's a Doctor Who mm-hmm. fan. Uh, I said Matt Smith was my favorite. And then she no longer talked oh. to me for <laughs> wedding because David Tennant was her favorite. So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I think I I don't know, and maybe this will make me an enemy of of Doctor Who fans everywhere. I don't know, but I feel like some of the Tenant fans are. I think kind of said it already before. Tenant fans are fans of Tenant first, and therefore like him as the Doctor. Whereas with other people, I think there are people who, with other doctors, they tend to be more people who are fans of Doctor Who and like that doctor in the part. It's a little bit like there are people who are fans of, for example, Sherlock Holmes and really like the character Sherlock Mm -hmm. Holmes and then therefore really liked Benedict Cumberbatch in that. And then I think there are people who really like the actor Benedict Cumberbatch and have seen Sherlock because they like to watch Benedict Cumberbatch, or because they like to watch Martin Freeman, but not because they're necessarily fans of that property. 
I think that's uh, an apt comparison to liking Tennant versus liking Smith. I yeah. think. I'm a Robert Downey Jr. guy myself. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Waiting for that third entry. <laughs> the next wedding we're at, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Vince is going to make no. no, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Uh, I like uh, Basil of Baker Street, the small mouse detective. Oh, yeah. There sure. you go. That's another good. I was bringing it back to mice. Bring it back to mice. <laughs> we're going to rank Sherlock's after we uh, get through our doctors. Uh, on. I, we'll we'll talk through some of the favorite doctors uh, in a little bit here, but um, yeah, I think talking about Tenant, it's such a great point because it really is something that impacts a lot of franchises like a Sherlock or James Bond or Batman, where people are constantly comparing the actors that play these iconic roles and you become drawn to either the actor or their portrayal of the character or the story that surrounded them. And I think, you know, something that we'll probably talk about a little with Jodie Whittaker too, of just not being a good service to somebody who I consider a very good actor in this part. And it's just what, where do they have the benefit? Is it that they have the right writers for them or are they just so good? And uh, <laughs> I, I guess just to speak to Tennant, who, who has gotten quite a bit of play on this podcast, thanks to Fred and his uh, <laughs> red pepper shaker, Hey, metaphor. I'm gonna say this right now. In every tenant episode we watch, he had that pepper shaker on right, and it was good. <laughs> but also, I feel Doctor Who is a place where he can just let them pepper flakes fly if he wants to, <laughs> like in certain episodes. We could do an episode comparing, for example, Kilgrave and the Doctor, and finding that there are as much as one character is sort of the embodiment of good and one is an embodiment of evil, that there's an overlap uh, on those two characters. Right. Um, I think, and here's some nerd stuff. I think Tennant's doctor is chaotic good. And I think Tennant's Kilgrave is chaotic evil. And so they link it chaotic. Right. And there's some overlap there. And um, both of them can swing. Um, into uh, into the other realms i think so and i think david Tennant is a very talented actor but you're right i think he has a he has some <laughs> he has a style um i would recommend watching him in broad church where where his um performance is very that looks like a freddy that. show is that like a small england town murder show it is a small England town yeah. murder show. It is him um and Olivia and Oscar winner Olivia oh. Coleman who is superhuman and oh. how good she is in that series. Is She's it? fantastic. That is interestingly enough written by Chibnall and also stars Jodie Whittaker. Huh. That's where they had worked together before and is excellent. The first there's a couple series of it. I will say the first series is the one that is some of the best television you're ever going to see. You'll see a million faces that you've seen in Doctor Who mm -hmm. on there. There's a lot of overlap in those actors, but uh, Tennant's performance in that is very different. Broadchurch Broad yeah. is a spin off of Olivia Coleman's character in Hot Fuzz, right? Yes. <laughs> she gets like sent oh to another. God. Oh, God. What's... oh, you you can't know how dark of a joke that is until you've seen. A oh church. my gosh! That that's what happens to that no character. No serial murders. <laughs> Can we talk about the fact too that Olivia Coleman is also in the Eleventh Hour in this series? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She is. 
And Moffat has said, like, we had Olivia Coleman and we used her for one scene oh. where she's mostly like uh, her voice is coming out of a different character. He's like, we really wasted that opportunity. No kidding. Uh, just the glance over her in a coma in the bed. I'm like, was that? Mm, we'll see. And then you come <laughs> back and you're like, oh, yeah, they, they knew what they were doing when they were setting that one up. <laughs> Uh, one more thing about David Tennant. Uh, so yeah, Beth, Beth is right. I mean, he, they work out a lot of the kinks in that first season. So when he comes on, the show has really strong footing. It knows where it's going. It, they take chances throughout. And also to Beth's point about people being fan of Tennant specifically, his doctor, they really do more with the romance side mm-hmm. of it. Uh, so there's equal romance. Him and Rose are into each other. Then with the Fallen Companion, Martha, there's unrequited love. They're not interested in one another, or well, she's interested in him. Uh, and then with uh, Catherine Tate, his uh, last companion, uh, then they try to separate the romance. But like, there is that romantic flow to it, and that largely gets sidelined when Moffat comes on board, mm. there are there's flirtatious energy with uh, Matt Smith and his companions, and and to a certain extent with uh, Capaldi as well. But uh, it, it's it, it is at its heights of romantic flirtations with the Tenth Doctor. So and and there are people uh, who really like that side of the show, and it does not get revisited as, at least as strongly as it does during that era of the oh, show. Wow. Which is interesting because, yeah, there are so many overtones, it feels like, in that episode. And I'm even calling back to the one that uh, I think you recommended, Vince, which was the girl in the fireplace, where you kind of get, and I thought that was a really nice way to understand maybe the doctor's perspective from other people in the series, too, of like, yeah, for him, he's popping in and popping out of these moments, right? But like, for everybody else, this is like the biggest day of their life when they meet the doctor and it, their lives go on in between the times that he goes and goes. And it's actually a great segue for the 11th hour because we see that happen to the next companion with the newest doctor of Matt Smith and Amy Pond, played by Karen Gillan, who is another like, whoa, holy crap, she's in this too. <laughs> and I also want to ask a question too, as we do get into talking the transition from Tennant to Smith, are fans precious about who the doctor is, like what the personality is understanding that the personality is going to be tweaked slightly, or is it very much like, Nope, we accept completely that every change comes with something brand new to the plate. I don't think there's any fandoms where fans get really precious about how one specific thing <laughs> is to the point where they like toxic at all about changes to it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. None that come to mind at all. (laughs) No. um, You know, what fans love to do is just accept change without comment (laughs) or criticism. So they want to release the Davies cut is what you're saying right now. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm not touching that one. Um, Doctor Who could really use more slow motion and Nick Cave songs, I think. (laughs) Oh. Thank you, Fred. Yes, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> oh man, he's coming back. He's coming back. Farting aliens and and pig aliens and Nick Cave songs could be on their way. <laughs> oh geez. Oh. Um, yes, 
like I said, there are people who once David Tennant left, never watched another episode. I I don't know of anybody who stopped once Eccleston left. (laughs) Mm. I know some people started to watch David Tennant and didn't like him as much as Eccleston and so kind of didn't stick with it. And then maybe came back when Matt Smith was on. I don't know. I don't. I, I, well, you've had that story about somebody wouldn't talk to you at a wedding, but people have their preferences, right? And as you can see, people can really dislike a characterization of them, even though that characterization of it is is deliberate, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, Capaldi, for example, had some pushback when he came on because he does come in as sort of the older, grumpier mm-hmm. guy, which is much more in keeping with at least the first three Doctor Who's from the classic mm-hmm. series, right? So that's really more of a callback to the older series that he's a bit of a curmudgeon his character softens over time and that character has an arc but also he was coming in after matt smith who was beloved after the 50th anniversary which was this big huge celebration so when matt smith left people felt that sort of a big it's sort of like i'll give it a sports analogy which is that you know when a head coach that people really really like retires or goes to another place it's really hard on the next coach Right. Unless it's for actors, yeah. Because everybody was ready for Mike McCarthy to leave before. Uh, uh, I did say a head coach who's beloved, and I feel like by the time McCarthy left, that is not an apt uh, adjective yeah. for him. But And of course, uh, we'd be remiss not to say that there was pushback against Jody when they cast a female oh, doctor. Um, what I will say Surprising, is. Surprising, right? Yeah, what I will say is what's what what I've mostly seen is people who haven't liked the Jody episodes realizing that it's bad writing and that it's not mm-hmm. her fault. So most of the time when you see something criticizing the Chibnall episodes, you're like, by the way, this is not directed at Jody and it has nothing to do with the fact that the doctor's uh is played by someone who identifies as female. It's the fact that the writing mm-hmm. isn't any good. Yeah, it kind of reminded yeah. me of cuz I remember hearing all the vitriol around like having the female doctor as we all did. And it reminded me of Captain Marvel, where I'm like, Ugh. everyone's saying all these horrible things. I'm going to go see this movie, and I'm going to love it. And then I went and saw it, and I didn't like it, and I didn't want to talk about it. And that's how I felt watching the two episodes I watched. I'm like, I'm going to like it, because F those people who make the prejudgments. And then I watched <laughs> it, and I was like, I'm not loving this. <laughs> <laughs> we could have a whole separate episode about Captain Marvel, because I'm a big fan of the comic. Uh, and I love Brie Larson and I'm looking forward to the Marvels, oh, yeah. but yeah, that movie, uh, it, it feels kind of hollow. I don't know anything about her at the end of it, but that's another <laughs> podcast to refocus here. Yeah. The doctor as a character, it is similar to say like, you know, Batman or Hamlet or, you know, James Bond, where there's certain expectations of the character, but everybody has their own take on it and every portrayal is different. Uh, but there's still something at the core that feels like this is still the mm-hmm. doctor uh, at some kind of baseline. Uh, I mean, the doctor is always the smartest person in the room. There's usually a bit of silliness to them. Sometimes uh, that silliness comes in the form of actually being quite silly or uh, having jokes at other people's expenses or making fun of themselves, a little deprecating. Sometimes the doctor can be foolish to put other people at ease and that allows the doctor to then be brilliant and kind of pull the tablecloth out of that person or out from under that mm-hmm. person. Uh, so like that varies from doctor to doctor performance to performance. 
Uh, with Tenant's Doctor, he is a bit more serious, a bit more grown up. Uh, uh, his arc is he kind of hardens a bit as uh, his time mm. goes on. So at least that's what I kind of feel with Matt Smith. Uh, he comes in and just this fresh young energy who is just going a thousand miles an hour. And there's kind of this like he is at that point the oldest his character has been but there's just this child wonder that is blooming in there. So like that's really something that drew me into his character, his portrayal of that doctor uh, that is fun and silly and reminiscent of the second doctor, Patrick Troughton, how he portrayed his doctor back in the sixties. So yeah, Matt Smith's doctor is so much fun. Every episode he's quippy. Uh, he has great physical performance. Uh, just a delightful actor to take on that role. Yeah. I, I, you could almost compare the transition from David Tennant hardening, similar to a, a weeping angel, if you will, to <laughs> you look away and all the Tennant fans look away and suddenly a, attack, right? Oh, look who had Blink on his assigned episodes to watch. <laughs> oh. and, and I saw that they come back. Spoiler alert. I'm excited for that. They, they certainly do. That episode, I, I would be remiss if we don't talk about that before we fully get into Matt Smith, or his era, too, because sure. first and foremost, you're like, oh, hey, Carrie Mulligan, how are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah, in her breakthrough role. Right. Wow. I did. I always thought she, I didn't know she was British and got her start over there. Really? Nope. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was her breakout her breakout role. I mean, she had done some some stuff before, but that was kind of, after that, It's it was Hollywood bound kind of a thing. Yeah. That episode just lived up to the hype. I I had heard a lot about that before watching it, and I was like, okay, what's this going to be like? And then I was just like on the edge of my seat the whole episode, like, oh, man, are these things going to get them? Like, <laughs> I, put, I, I put Blink on my list, and partly because Vince had uh, put a really great episode that was very David Tennant heavy on his list, which is Girl in the Fireplace, right? So you get a lot of good David mm-hmm. Tennant content in that episode. So you see what he's like. I picked what's called the blink is what's called a Dr. Light episode, meaning there's very little actually of David Tennant mm. in it. There's very little of the, there's even less of the companion in it, but it is a, so it's a, almost, it's like a bottle episode that takes place in the Dr. Who universe uh, or the who universe mm-hmm. without, um, <laughs> without <laughs> Tennant being in it too much, but it's an important episode. One it's, it's truly excellent and extremely scary and stays with you. And, and as you said, Mulligan is fantastic in it. Um, and when the doctor does come in, he says uh timey, wimey, wibbly, wobbly stuff, which is like the phrase that followed him forever that, and I'm so sorry. Cause he apologized a lot. <laughs> He apologized more than a Midwestern woman who'd done nothing wrong. That's how much he apologized. <laughs> um, and as one of those, <laughs> I can say that. But uh, that episode is also really important because it was the first time that New Who had created a villain, that a new villain that had the same sort of cultural uh, touchstone, sort of cultural connection that like the Daleks or the Cybermen mm. had had in the original Doctor Who. So even if you're not a huge Doctor Who fan or you haven't seen it, like I think you'd probably at least recognize a Dalek. Yeah. Even if you're not quite sure what they're called, you'd probably be like, oh, I, I know what that is. It's a Doctor For Who sure. thing. Or if you, you probably have, would be able to, you know, to know what a Cyberman was or something like that. Because those are sort of things that are bigger than the show itself. The Weeping Angels was the first time that the new series had done that that episode really shows that they have their hand on the camp dial 
mm-hmm. you know, they can make things look super campy and goofy, or they can actually do like horror and suspense. Like they can put it in that place. And that really opened my eyes to the show a lot. So I was very happy you picked that episode. Yeah. Thanks. That episode. Um, yeah, exactly. That episode has a lot of restraint for what it's doing. And that episode, like you said, could have been super goofy. Uh, it has moments that are light, right? Because obviously you can't be afraid the whole time, but that episode is truly scary. I picked a lot of scary episodes. I realized for you guys, mm-hmm. I love the spooky shit. And that I do too. And just to say something about Doctor Who is one of the few places anymore where you get an actual horror story. Yeah. Right? It's not, and I, because most of the horror movies you go to now are body horror or they're Mm -hmm. gore, right? They're not, they're not psychological thrillers and they're not monster stories. They're not spooky, creepy, you know, something's creaking in the attic, something's in the basement. You know, uh, The Babadook is one of the few movies I've seen uh, in the last couple years that I felt was sort of atmospherically scary. And every series, Every yeah, every series of the new um, Who has had at least one episode uh, that was spooky mm-hmm. in that way. We have um, the our, what's the ghost one in Eccleston's time that I can never remember the name of. It's the third. It's the one with Charles Dickens. Oh, Beth, when you are talking about that episode, you are of course talking about the Unquiet Dead. The Unquiet Dead, right? So that's a spooky episode about ghosts. Uh, then we have the Dave Lieutenant episode, uh, Blink, which is very scary. Then um, uh, Smith has a few, but Hyde, I think, is the one. Is that the one with the haunting at the old house? Yes. And then, of course, I also had told you um, Heaven Sent, which I think is a very scary, spooky episode yes. for Mir Capaldi. And then my um, my uh, Jodie Whittaker episode that I had chosen for you was the um, haunting of Vio Diodati. Um And that's also that's also it's a victorian horror it's set with shelly and pierce and byron in the time when they would have been writing yeah it's like the beginning of the bride of frankenstein where they're all it's like byron and mary shelly all in the rainy the villa or whatever yep and i would say like i like i think uh, when horror meets sci-fi you can do some really cool stuff like I think the thing is one of one of the coolest movies that's been around. And I think uh, Doctor Who does that in a way that I don't think a lot of other shows are doing. Star Trek will do it every now and again. Star Trek will have uh, there's something trapped with us on the ship or something. But um, Doctor Who, I like Doctor Who when they do it yeah. because it actually is like usually a ghost or something hauntly. I feel in Star Trek they're like, oh, actually it was a computer virus spooking us out. <laughs> oh shit we were on the holodeck the whole time (laughs) yeah and it was something we talked about during the next generation we were talking about that a few weeks ago now and it was kind of surprising because i was trying to think of episodes of star trek that did horror in a way like doctor who has done these couple episodes that are really very haunting and kind of leave you just sort of like unsettled and I, I know I'm looking at the the one person right now that probably is like I've got the one for you, but <laughs> it's um, but it definitely is like like you're saying, Fred. It always is like aha, but yeah, it's like a Scooby Doo episode. You know, they pull the curtain back and it's like ah, it was Mister Smothers. You know, the owner of the taco shack down the road. <laughs> Tom knew for me to get into some Star Trek episodes, he had to Google like, all right, what are the scary ones? Which ones have ghosts? <laughs> This how am I gonna get Fred to watch it if it's not spooky? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I gave you the spooky ones then because I I really do think uh, it is rare to get something that's truly 
I, it's fun to be afraid. Um, there's a creepy one. Oh, I'll give you. I'll give you some more Doctor. When we're off air, I'll give you some more of the scary Doctor Who episodes where you're like, I don't feel good. And and the thing about Blink is like, you will never look at a statue the same oh, way no. again. Like I have ruined. First of all, statues are creepy. We can agree mm-hmm. on that. Moffat has, and you'll know this from Sherlock, has uh, his finger on the pulse of like what is sort of in the back of our brains or like what. Uh, sort of needling at the sort of um, primitive drive towards safety or towards fear or whatever else. So he has a couple, he has a couple episodes like that, but I think, I think statues have always been creepy to us. And I think he'd like, so if you've never seen blink, what it is, is it's, uh, there's these characters called the weeping angels and they are, you think they're statues, but if you look away from them, they attack you, they don't kill you. They send you back in time and then they live off your potential life energy and you get stuck back in time. And they basically, you live yourself to death, but you don't get the remainder of your years. And so, which is in some ways creepier than yeah. killing you, right? Because you're pulled away from everything that you know and love and you could be pulled back 10 years. You could be pulled back 300 years. Right. But they're incredibly fast if you uh, stop looking at them. So it's called blink because you can't even blink because in the time that it would take, if you're looking at one and it's close enough and you blink, you're, you're, you're done. Um, And that's of course something that you can't not do. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. You can't not breathe. You can't not blink. You can't not heartbeat all that stuff. But yeah. So from now on, you'll never look at a statue and be like, you know, like you'll keep your eyes on them. Uh, it, it stays with them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting though. And to get us um, even to move a little forward too is, you know, another episode that relies on sort of a sight piece to it was the 11th hour, which is the first episode of Matt Smith. And I was kind of expecting a setup for something that would be a little more horrific because he, uh, comes to Karen Gillen and he's like, okay, you know, look out of the corner of your eye, you know, and you'll see something. And he's like, no, you really look where you can never look. And I was like, oh man, like what, what's this going to be a setup for? And we do have some creepy moments, but it never really went that full horror where it was more of a, I don't even know how you would describe it. It just was kind of like a, almost like a chase in a way that whole episode Mm -hmm. where they're trying to like be like look here look at point we're pointing at the the thing that you're looking for (laughs) and just like uh, against the clock like it was like a race against the clock it was such a mash of themes that i don't know honestly it all worked (laughs) super kinetic yeah when moffat's doing really good i mean he does horror really well uh he explores time and how that affects people who travel through it uh and he has this really great puzzle box telling mm-hmm. storytelling mechanic like jj uh, and we get a lot of <laughs> uh, except he can stick the landing <laughs> not always but he has a better track record than jj jj is great at setup oh boy what's this island all about <laughs> Oh boy, who is this uh, junker on this junk planet? Who is she and what's her deal? Uh, Again, another podcast. I'll happily come back. Yes. The payoff. We'll we'll be doing plenty of talk about Star Wars at some point in some day, but we're still collecting our thoughts after. It's a fresh wound. I'm still collecting my thoughts after The Phantom Menace. (laughs) Still not not well. Deep hurting. I'll just say it. I don't want to hear about the Skywalker saga anymore. There's nothing more interesting in the Skywalker saga. There. I said it. Boom. Now you don't have to do the episode. <laughs> I like it. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, Moffat, especially that first season with Matt Smith, uh, I mean, 
all of the episodes in it are really strong. Uh, there's not a weak card in that bunch, and the finale is just amazing. And it, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, I would recommend going back and watching all of Matt Smith's first season. Uh, it's just really, really incredible storytelling, uh, and there's a lot of clues and things to pick up on. It's, it was great storytelling to keep you engaged from week mm-hmm. to week. The episodes are really good uh, standalone as well. So um, it's like a semi-standalone, semi-serialized storytelling that they have in that season for Matt Smith. Yeah, it was funny that you mentioned the first episode you saw was the Matt Smith werewolf episode. I haven't watched that yet, but before we start looking at episodes, I like werewolves a lot. And I almost was like, I'm going to Google if there's a doctor who werewolf episode and i never did and then the first one you brought up was that and i'm probably gonna watch that tonight i should watch them in order but i kind of want to watch that yeah that's a that's a david Tennant episode and yeah that one's fun that's a really good one tooth and claw uh matt smith has a vampire episode so if you want to check that out uh and then one of the episodes i recommended was a 12th doctor one mummy on the orient express so uh, a mummy episode oh wow does jody whitaker get well she got the frankenstein episode so (laughs) (laughs) i watched the vampire one it's very good it has uh the actress who died recently uh malfoy's mom from the Harry Potter room. She's the baddie oh. in that episode. Oh, yeah. Helen McCrory, I think. I'm pretty sure she's the baddie in that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if we want to pivot a little bit away from the horror conversation, but the the Matt Smith episode that I gave you was Vincent and the Doctor, where he meets uh, Vincent van Gogh. And very different, right? Not scared. There's a horror element to that mm-hmm. too, right? And that there's there's a sort of an invisible monster that's attacking. But I, I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts were on that because I specifically chose that one because I felt like it was very tonally different from the other assignments we had given you guys. So I definitely, I mean, first and foremost, let me just say I I think I'm kind of with Vincent that Matt Smith might be the top after only seeing 10 episodes or 11 episodes, whatever it was. I love the energy he brings. I think the chemistry between he and Karen, you know, just pops like they, I, I mean, obviously somebody with her track record, you know, you, you see what she's done since Dr. Who. And it's like, they put enough trust in her to be like, where well, you're going to be a central figure in this giant superhero crossover movie of all time. And it's like, you don't get that way without being somebody who brings a lot of, electricity to the screen and it's just like every character she brings even here where they're not i I don't know they're necessarily giving her every little thing to do but she she makes the most out of every moment it chooses it for all it's worth and you know going between those two episodes between the 11th hour and into vincent and the doctor it's wonderful to see how different of an energy matt smith is bringing from the last two where they're very like I don't know how to describe it. They're, they're almost just kind of like, yeah, you know, like they have a little more edgy or tenants a little more just kind of like pensive in a way. But then you have this frenetic energy that Matt Smith brings. And it just really brings the character to life in a way that I hadn't seen in like those episodes so far. And I was just like, wow, what a breath of fresh air a little bit. And I enjoyed everything I had watched to that point. But I have a love for anything that involves Vincent van Gogh. And I was also laughing because I've been calling him Van Gogh my whole life <laughs> to learn that all of Europe calls him Van Gogh. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I need to adjust my <laughs> my memory banks here a little bit when I talk about it. 
But it was such a heartbreaking episode, too, because you do go in expecting it to be kind of one of these, oh, it's a monster of the week. And you're like, oh, man, it, it kind of ends you on a note. It's a downer, but also just it was so reflective. Of, I felt like Van Gogh, the person himself and what this monster was doing. And I'll, I'll pass it off to you, Fred, to, to add on any notes to that. But it just was it was, it was really beautiful. Yeah, that's the word for it was beautiful. I uh, really felt that this episode really put the bliss in PBS. Like it kind of felt (laughs) just so comforting in a way, but also not hacky. I felt they were really introducing almost the palette of Vincent Van G to the uh, (laughs) Vinny G. They really were almost adding that uh, palette to the episode. And How, do, how very dare you. <laughs> and I, I love it. He's related to Warren G, right? And I'm going to make it even worse. Why I like this episode, it really reminds me of my favorite show when I was younger, Wishbone, where mm. like Wishbone would have a life situation and be like, oh, this is like the story of blank and it'd be like a great piece of literature or a famous person. And then you'd get like a character actor doing like a version of like, a you know a character from a story or a person from history and then wishbone was there too and the van <laughs> gogh performance was like a guy who was really good and he had like the stuff on to make him look like van gogh and just it was awesome <laughs> i had a great time watching that episode yeah yeah that's a fun one because it's also a doctor who historical uh so like every doctor's had a chance to meet uh like yeah the ninth doctor met um, Charles, Charles Dickens. Dickens. Yeah, thank you. And then uh, the tenth Doctor got to meet Shakespeare, uh, as well as Agatha Christie. And then yeah, the eleventh Doctor meets Van Gogh uh, or Van Gogh. Um, <laughs> and uh, so th- those are always kind of fun episodes. Uh, just getting to interact with those people from history, which is neat. But yeah, it's also such a different episode from what you get week in and week out. And yeah, the, this first season of Matt Smith. Yeah, you get. Uh, action adventure stories you get to revisit some classic monsters they uh bring new monsters in which are really great and then yeah you had this episode that's really poignant and about mental health and respecting people and their points of view uh and understanding which is really special and then after this episode vincent and the doctor is a great comedy episode of doctor who uh called the lodger mm. uh which is a, a really fun romp as well uh so yeah there's just a lot of i mean if you want to give people an introduction of what's doctor who that first season of matt smith is a great primer of this is everything the show can be at its height yeah so um for those who haven't seen it obviously you've probably picked up on it the doctor and amy go back and they meet vincent van gogh and um and he's struggling right because he had a rough life but also, there's great moments of joy in the episode, and um, it has a really beautifully balanced look at the fact that even somebody who struggles with these things is not was is not struggling. Co- like, the struggle is constant, and it's always there. It's ever-present, but there's also 
moments of joy mixed in with that right and that somebody shouldn't be shouldn't be one-dimensional because we know this one thing about them right and i also say that if you don't cry at the end of this episode you do not have a heart <laughs> like there's a scene at the end where they talk about both his um place in in history and in art and what he means to people um but also the doctor has a very beautiful speech about the good and the bad things that come into our life and the pile of good things and the pile of bad things and what those mean and um they're both such beautiful speeches mm-hmm. and they come very close to one another but without feeling like we just heard two speeches with feeling like we experienced something together the performances are really really lovely and i also wanted you to see this one because yes uh prisoner zero uh, 11th hour i've always called it prisoner zero um, <laughs> because that's the villain in it and it was the first episode and so i think like oh zero that's the first number um anyways uh you, you're right uh, matt smith has a big frenetic childlike energy right he's very youthful and he's running around and he's doing adventures and he's figuring things out and it's whiz bang boom right and i feel like in vincent and the doctor and so is amy Right. Mm -hmm. And in Vincent and the Doctor, there's so much stillness in both of their performances Mm -hmm. and in their character portrayals that you really see the range. And um, Stephen Moffat once said of Matt Smith that he looks like a young man assembled by old men from memory. It's a great description like, of him. It's, it's sort of the perfect way. It's, it's another uh, version of um, Stephen Moffat saying the exactly perfect way to describe something because it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And what I love about Matt Smith in this episode is that he feels like an old man in this mm-hmm. episode. He feels like a doctor who at this point, even though he's the youngest actor ever playing him, is the oldest doctor who has been sure. to this point. He's over a thousand years old at this point. And you can feel that. You can feel that age and that wisdom. Um, whereas in 11th hour, he's shiny and new and he's young. Right. And Matt Smith plays them both so perfectly mm-hmm. that I think it's another, people often talk about, um, uh, Tom Baker as being the perfect marriage of actor and part. So he was, he was the fourth doctor, the original part. And I absolutely believe that's true. And I absolutely will give you recommendations of fourth doctor yes. episodes to watch that you will love um, and love him in it. and But I also believe that Matt Smith is the perfect marriage of actor and part in that same way that he feels timeless in the way that a Time Lord would. I'll also recommend, my other recommendation I was going to make for you is um, Doctor Who, A Christmas Carol. Hmm. And that is what you think it is. It's Doctor Who in a Christmas Carol-like story. And without giving it away, I'm just going to remind you that it's a time traveler in a story that features ghosts of present, past, and future. Mm. And it is one of the most brilliantly written things. And it is also sad, and it is also silly, and it is also deep and also frivolous, and it is wonderful. And I will say... It is something to show somebody who has no interest in Doctor Who because it is just a very well-told story. It's part of my Christmas canon of, uh, like, watch, you know, Die Hard, Grinch Stole Christmas, this version of Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is possibly, and I love the Christmas Carol as a story, and it is it is in my top two Christmas carols. Like, I watch this alongside the Alistair Sims or, or yes. any of those other ones. The Mickey Mouse. The Muppets yeah. is absolutely fantastic. 
the Mickey Mouse was the first one I ever saw, and I still watch that every mm-hmm. Christmas too, which is amazing to think that Doctor Who can also become a Christmas mm-hmm. tradition. But it, especially because I will warn you that uh, Davies had plenty of Doctor Who Christmas specials, and they are wrong. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, that's something like I'm kind of excited about, but now a little worried because. I love spooky stuff and I love Christmas. And when I saw there were so many Christmas episodes of Doctor Who, I was like, this is another gift under Freddy's tree this year, this Christmas. I got <laughs> stuff to watch. If Fred, you like camp, there's uh, Davies brings lots of camp in those oh, I'm, presents. I'm bringing so. firewood. I'm bringing s'mores. I'm going to sit down. <laughs> I'm a nice time. Yeah. Yeah, the um aside from the next is the next doctor a Moffat or a Davies? I think it's a Davies, isn't it? That's a Davies, yes. The the next doctor is a Davies written Christmas uh episode, and it is very good and very sad. Oh. The other ones, the Christmas invasion, <laughs> uh, oh boy. Um the one with Kylie Min Kylie Minogue in it. What is that one? Oh, uh it, it's like a Titanic Christmas episode. <laughs> yeah, Christmas on the Titanic. <laughs> It's like that one's kind of like the Poseidon adventure. That one has its moments, but yeah, it's... yeah. And Runaway Bride, Doctor yes. Who's Runaway Bride. Um, mm. Those are those are wow. Those are oof. <laughs> oof. <laughs> David Tennant's fantastic in them. Catherine Tate is um, fantastic. In them. Um, you must 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 watch Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead, which is another. I didn't want to give you two two parters, and I had already given you a two parter for Eccleston. But it's a two-parter in David Tennant's time when Catherine Tate is his companion, who is mm-hmm. one of my favorite British uh, comedians. Um, and that episode is scary and amazing. It's so good. I'm excited to keep going with this for sure. Yeah. I would like to just maybe talk a little more about somebody who also brings a much different energy to the role with uh, Peter Capaldi. And, and maybe we can kind of fill in anything that we haven't talked. Cause I know we've, we've spoken about him a little bit and Whitaker already, but maybe just to kind of fill in the gaps a little bit about some of the things they brought to the role and maybe some of the, at least from an outsider's perspective, the, the souring reactions a little bit that came with them in it. You know, what, what are some of your thoughts, both Vince and Beth on, you know, where they went once Peter Capaldi, uh, Peter Capaldi came aboard uh, during Moffat's tenure. So uh, Capaldi, I will say, I mean, Matt Smith is my favorite uh, doctor, but Peter Capaldi, I think, is the best actor to mm. ever be in the role. He is so brilliant. Uh, he's really you know, he's fantastic watching every episode. What they do with his character. Uh, so you've had in classic who some doctors that were a bit grumpy or a bit sour. And when you had such bright doctors with the 10th and 11th, they made a conscious decision to do something different with the 12th doctor. So he starts off very grumpy, very sour, a lot of budding heads between he and uh, her name is Clara, the companion at that mm-hmm. point. And they do soften his character and he goes on that journey the problem, though, spoiler for you two who haven't seen it all, um, there isn't really a reason for him to become so sour other than he just regenerated mm. that way. So that's like narratively not satisfying. And also he was, you know, Matt Smith was blessed with having a really strong first season with really great episodes. Capaldi got some, I mean, some just shit, bad episodes. Mm. There's one 
called In the Forest of the Night in his first season, which is just god awful. Yeah. It, it makes zero sense. It's just bad. I mean, the actors in it are, are, are good, but again, the story makes zero sense. But his first season also has some of the greatest episodes of, of New Who in it as well. Uh, his two-part finale is really fantastic. Uh, I recommended Mummy on the Orient Express mm-hmm. to you, which is a really good one. Uh, there's another episode I, re- I recommend called Flatline, which has a really, really cool villain in it. It's a really cool monster that, I mean, really utilizes the technology that they can run with these days, but the story behind it is is really cool as well. So It's also a horror episode, so you'll <laughs> like that one. Yeah, Fred, that, that's right. Oh, oh, Fred, Fred woke up. He's there. Fred is joined the chat. <laughs> um, but then they, they do some course correcting with his doctor come his second series, and he's much warmer with his companion. Mm. They have a much better relationship. Uh, they don't butt heads nearly as often. Uh, and, and that's something that we've noticed with our watch of Classic Who. Uh, when the Doctor and Companion get along, that's the way it should be. You don't want to watch your main characters fight. Mm. Uh, and that's something that they did with some of the Doctors and Companions in Classic Who. And it didn't work then. It didn't work here in New Who. So that's, I think, part of why some people were like, oh, I don't know about this Peter Capaldi guy. But uh, they do course correct and they do give him a nice arc. And like I said, he's hands down the best actor to play the mm-hmm. role. And, you know, his second season, that's uh, series nine, season nine, rather, is right up there with Matt Smith's first season of just being like excellent episodes. Wow. So Rocky first season for Peter, excellent second season for Peter. And then third season, um, kind of up and down. But I mean, he uh, he has, for me has grown over time as a doctor and has really like r- risen through the ranks for me. So. I know there's some people, I mean, we recommended it on who's doing what now of like, maybe you didn't like him the first time around, but go back and give him another shot. And uh, there are, are a lot of uh, great Peter Capaldi episodes to enjoy. Yeah. And then you can see that swing, even just from going from mummy on the Orient express, which was one that you recommended events to heaven sent, which even in an episode where you could tell there was anger in him and that when he comes out the gate and he's just, there's this weird tick that I, I wish I had picked up on. And I, I think it's hard to jump in at least in some episodes and understand where he's talking to himself. And you're like, well, who's he talking to? Is this the thing that he does? Or is he like actually trying to talk through this problem that he has? And you kind of realize it's a little bit of both. And yeah. And I was curious where your thoughts were too, Fred, because I know I've talked about these a little bit too, but. Um, I only ended up watching the one Vince recommendation. I didn't get to the last Beth recommendation. I'm sorry. Well, you are gonna be you're gonna be happy. It's really well, scary. Spoiler <laughs> alert for the podcast. Tom and I are probably gonna be watching Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. I know. I guess I was just basing off of our conversations, but I'm assuming that he's in the same boat that I am. Like, I'm I'm yes. interested. Yes. But uh I definitely I get the vibe of how people were like, I don't know if I like this grumpy guy because that's definitely how I felt about it. But then again, I only watched the one episode and I know there's plenty more chances to get to learn and love him. And I like the idea that you (laughs) said that he kind of has a switch in his arc where he starts as Mr. Grumpy Pants, but then he becomes, you know, a little bit softer. I like that. Mm hmm. There's an episode later called The Husbands of River Song, and um, you can't watch it right away. 
I'm just going to tell you that you have to save it because you have to find out more about the character River Song, who you would have seen in Let's Kill Hitler. But she has a whole, <laughs> there's so much more with that character of River Song. Uh, the, wow, I just can't wait for you to discover her, who you meet in um, Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead, by the way. That's the first time you meet River. Then she has a lot to do in, in uh, during Tenet's time. She has a lot to do in Matt Smith's time. Her story arc uh, comes to a close in Capaldi's time uh, in the uh, the Husbands of River Song. That episode is as beautiful. The Husbands of River Song is to me as beautiful as the Vincent and the Doctor one in a different way. Partly because you see how far the the Capaldi character has come. I will also say that the Capaldi um, Doctor Who is very popular with people who were fans of the original series. Mm. because he is much more in keeping with some of the original doctors than um, because there are some fans of the original series who don't necessarily like these super young (laughs) doctors. There's, there's a lot of us who aren't huge, huge fans of the romance element in doctor who I don't like it that much myself. Is it boomers versus millennials? Is that what we're talking? I don't. It's not just that because I'm neither. Um, (laughs) I'm just, uh, what of a generation X. What is it? Gen X. X? Um, the the thing between that and I can see both sides of it. I, I like the new doctors, but I also really like what Capaldi brings Great. to it. And I agree with Vince. I think he's the most talented of uh, the actors mm-hmm. to come in. I think you'll see when you do watch Heaven Sent, you'll see that Heaven Sent is w- what's called a one hander, which means really he is the only person in it. Okay. Uh, there's some other characters that sort of are there kind of, but really just a, which is a lot for someone to do. Uh, but it's, it's uh, he has some really great, like you said, at this point, Moffat is starting to be a little overwhelmed by the projects. I think he has on his, he's doing Sherlock. He's doing some other projects. He's developing things. He's handing more and more of the series off to other writers. He's not writing as many of his own anymore. And um, I think the writing suffers a little bit in in Capaldi's Mm -hmm. time, but I think Capaldi has a number of really, really beautiful episodes. The episode right before heaven sent called face the Raven is also a very powerful and affecting episode. Um, His Christmas specials are really, are really interesting and good. His two parters are really interesting and good. Um, I like Capaldi a lot and I totally agree with Vince. If you're somebody who was turned off, if you do like Dr. Who and you're somebody who was turned off by this grumpy old doctor, give him another look because uh and don't give up on him because he does he does gets much more fun and they do they're doing something with it right um and you have to be patient you have to let them you have to give them that time yeah it'd be exciting to watch that journey i think once we start from the top so i think lest uh we we forget about the last doctor here and unfortunately maybe not saving the best for last although I, i really do appreciate her overall career you know the the most recent and still current doctor Jodie Whittaker obviously brings a much different energy than any of the men that came before her in her role. And it's definitely brought some new things to the table. Watching those episodes was, was very interesting. You know, we had, we had kind of spoken to already the piece of her writing has not really served her very well or the people around her very well. And maybe you guys can just shine a little bit of light on what you what your overall feelings are on her and the stories that are being told right now under, I'm forgetting his name, Chris, Chris Chibnall. Chibnall. <laughs> he's very forgettable. Really, he's apparently a very forgettable name. It's just, uh, you're right. It's a little forgettable. 
And maybe this is a little bit of an opportunity to transition then to a coulda, woulda, shoulda to talk about what if she did have some better writing too. So I'll let you guys run with that. Yeah, uh, Jody is a tremendous actor and she is great. I mean, and you can say that about Doctor Who history throughout. Mm -hmm. I mean, because there are like, uh, if we were looking back at classic Who, the sixth Doctor uh, is not looked back on fondly. His era is kind of a dark period of the Mm -hmm. show because the writing team got it screwed up with that doctor. They give him terrible things to do and say, um, even though the actor himself does a great job. Jody is a great actor. I really like her portrayal of the doctor. Um, a few things that they get wrong with her era of the show is um, with all the previous doctors and knew who they were paired with either just one companion mm-hmm. or at the most two companions. And that makes for a nice balance where you get plenty of, of course, doctor, you get plenty of their companion or companions, but with Jody's doctor, they gave her three companions, which is a lot to manage. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, someone gets left out of the mix. So we don't really get a whole lot about, there's one companion she has called Yaz, who is a tremendous actress. And I, I want to know more, more about the character, but I don't think we ever quite get there. There's a character called Graham. (laughs) And while we're spending all this time with these companions, uh, the person I want to know most about is the doctor. And we never quite get there with her. Also, when they set up her character, it's more like they just kind of landed on, well, we made the doctor a woman and that's all we need to do. You also need to flesh out her character. I guess I get going back to earlier in the podcast when you're talking about Captain Marvel, Fred, I mean, it was like, Hey, we have a female superhero. That's all we need. But you also need to give her personality (laughs) and, and you know, so like anything we get out of the doctor is by the talents of Jodie Whittaker Mm. and unfortunately not the writing. Uh, So that's really a shame. So, Yeah. And then there's like some episodes where the writing is like, I'm not sure what the message is that they're trying to say here. Like there's one episode uh, we did not recommend it to you is called Kerblam. And it's, it's it's kind of like a take on, you know, Amazon and uh, warehouse industry and culture. But the message that the doctor that the doctor ends up giving is well the machine is good actually it's the people who aren't great but even they're okay it's like very wishy-washy uh and like the message should be clear that you know giant corporations dehumanizing and devaluing people are wrong and bad but uh the the words they have her say it's just kind of mealy mouthed and pathetic at the end of the day so they do eventually get there the most recent season with jody was really strong they give her a lot to do they let her be the doctor uh i don't think we recommended episodes from that season though because uh it is a really continuous story it's very serialized it's hard to drop into one episode of the most recent season and recommend it because it's really dependent on what what else is happening in the episodes previous to it so i would recommend watching that season um that's a C, uh, series 13 mm-hmm. uh aka the flux oh and, uh, so yeah it, r- really strong season um for jody and her just two companions at that point uh, <laughs> did so, the old one die uh, yeah, yeah. uh they they went off and like two of them went off on a new adventure and uh she there's just one new companion that came on so. oh okay 
Yeah. Uh, they they simultaneously, I think, sort of feel like, oh, we made the Doctor a woman and did no further character development, but they also don't do anything with the fact that she is mm-hmm. now. And one of the things when that came in was like, okay, great, let's make the Doctor um, a female-identifying person, and I'd love to explore that. I don't want that to be the only thing that Doctor Who is about now. Like, I don't want every single episode to be about that because, because a person is more than their gender identity. But the gender identity of a person is important as well. So there were multiple chances over the series where the fact that the Doctor is a female-identifying person now should have been part of the storyline. Like, there's a there's an episode about witches, right? And the witch finder comes, and the witch finder, which was basically just a way uh to persecute women like that's what the witch hunts were Mm -hmm. right and yes there were a few warlocks but um (laughs) it was mainly a way to find a new and diverse ways to punish women for stepping out of society's lines right right Or, or for no reason whatsoever and there's one point where the witch hunter comes and he won't listen to the doctor because the doctor's a woman and the women lie and women are whatever. And the doctor says like two lines about how that's the first time the doctor's up to this point, the doctor has been a white British guy and everybody listens to the white <laughs> British guys. You know what I mean? Um, I you. You know, it, it's that Simpsons joke. I'm a white male age 18 to 34. Everybody listens to my appointment. <laughs> and so there's like one little moment of her reflecting on the fact that like now her voice is doesn't count the same way that it did before. And that's it. And that, I feel like that whole episode should be about that. And that whole there should be storylines that are about the fact that this version of the doctor has to move through the world in a different way than that doctor previously did. And they, they missed that opportunity, but they also just, they also, they were in the three companions. One of the companions that they cast is an older white British dude. And he's a good, I like the actor very much. And I think he does a good job and I don't hate the character at all, but they keep giving that character, the doctor stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And Jody is off like doing a side adventure in the way that she becomes another female companion to an old white British guy who is doing like the heavy lifting in the episode. So it's upsetting. Uh, Jody is fantastic. She has some great episodes. The episodes that we gave you are fun ones. And I think you can see that she has a lot of potential. Just unfortunately, they just continue to not give her anything to do. There are full episodes that are Dr. Light and not because they're Dr. Light episodes, just because I think they forgot to give Jody anything to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like uh... she's in them. She just doesn't affect what happens in the episode in any way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's about this point. I mean, we looking back to um, Vincent and the doctor, when the doctor has these great moments of uh, wisdom that he can put on the companion and Van Gogh himself. Uh, Yeah. It's this character Graham who puts on these great uh, connections and moments of wisdom to other people. And you could have given those moments to the doctor because Mm -hmm. she is a wise time Lord who, uh, you know, has just a crazy amount of experience behind her. So yeah, they, they don't use her to her full potential because we got these three companions, we better use them all. And it's not like, so, you know, on Star Trek where this week we don't get to see Worf a lot, but that's okay because we have another episode where we will focus on Worf, but this is a show called Dr. Who I expect to see the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Even just us like watching those episodes. I don't know how you felt, Tom, when I just from the game first, I loved her, the doctor, but when I saw that many companions, I was just like too much to, like, yeah. in the first five minutes. 
It was very extra. Yeah. I, and I'm trying to even, I feel terrible about this too, but I don't even like remember the first episode I watched. Yeah, I'm like, like, they're watching all the uh, New Year's. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With the Dalek. Yeah. And yeah, very interesting too that that, that was what cause I'd always known a Dalek to have like the robot armor. I'm just getting off a quick aside. But then to be like, uh, it's a squid. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Um, so the fact that that was my takeaway, <laughs> I mean, and it was still a, a well-told episode, I think, overall. But it, it was still just sort of, it was like, yeah, what what are we doing here? Like, this is your this is your star. And I don't feel like you're giving her a lot of things to, to do. Just, I don't know. It's, it's too bad. And I think to your point too, Beth, you brought up something else. It's like, you have an opportunity to put a female identifying person in a position of power where it's like, you are the know all ancient person, you know, you should be the respected knowledgeable person and have those interesting contrasts where it's like, you're going through history where women have been oppressed or their opinions have been told they don't matter. And here is somebody who is like, yeah, well, guess what? <laughs> like, I know more than you, you dipshit. Like, <laughs> you have an opportunity to point out the fact that there's been uh, countless times over the millennia of human development where the woman has been the smartest person in the room, right. and nobody knew about it because she wasn't spoke. You know, she couldn't speak unless spoken to. You yes, I mean? and that's something that should have been that should have been part of the series. And also, like, she's your doctor. Like, and and to the point where I think the series has silenced her in a lot of ways. I think the series has been like, oh, but don't give the woman anything of substance to say mm. a lot of time. And it's sort of like, oh man, no, come on. Like <laughs> one of the complaints um that you'll hear, like for example, if you listen to episodes about her on on our uh podcast, is that the the Chibnall uh thing wants to have like uh wants to get brownie points for doing the progressive thing, but fails to actually do it progressively. Mm. like they uh they have the first um female doctor they have the first doctor uh, played by a bipoc person at one point sort of depending on how you trust the timeline or whether or not you do which is i'm not even going to get into all that they have um some of the first uh lgbtq plus uh representation in different you know um in different relationships that are there but they aren't explored they're sort of like yep this is a thing now but it's in the same way that like disney would put like two male characters dancing together in the background of something you mean the exclusively gay moment yes (laughs) exactly and it's sort of like and they simultaneously want uh praise for that but also don't want to actually like make that decision and make it now i will say the next doctor is a young BIPOC actor that I think will be really fantastic in the role. And so the uh, series continues, but that's a Davies decision. That's not a Chibnall decision. Right. Yeah. Shruti Gatwa will be our next doctor and uh, we'll get to meet him. Well, we're not entirely sure. There have been uh, little drops of information about the upcoming series and next year is the 60th anniversary celebration. So we've gotten some news, but other than the casting news about uh, Shruti Gatwa, not a lot about him or his portrayal of uh, that next doctor. But uh, we get one more episode of Jody that will air, we believe, in November. 
So mm-hmm. Chibnall has one more chance to turn it all around. <laughs> Better make the most of it then, huh? It's, it's funny because, <laughs> right. as Vince said, his uh, the Flux season is pretty much good episodes. There's one kind of dud of the five, or uh-huh. the and and then doesn't quite stick the landing, but most of it is really good. Like, oh, yeah, this is what we finally wanted. Yeah. And then the next episode he does, um, which is, what is it, Curse of the Sea Devils? Is that what it? No, it, the, it was that uh, Dalek New Year's. Oh, sorry. Special. So then, the, but the most recent one that he did is yeah, the, Curse of the Sea Devils. Uh, yeah. So there was Eve of the Daleks, which is which is really, uh, fun. A really Watch fun. Eve of the Daleks. Daleks. Yeah. Eve of the Daleks is fun, and it has Asling B in it. Um, who, if you're a big fan of British uh, television comedy, uh, is a delight. Sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, Legend of the Sea Devils was the most recent episode, which brought back a classic monster uh, called the Sea Devils. And, uh, yeah, that episode was just really underwhelming and blown. Yeah. At the so end the most so recent like, Jody episode that we've watched went right back into the old dead. problems, yeah. um, which is because he had had a run of, like, several good episodes in a row. And you're like, okay, well, maybe he's maybe he's going to get this right. But, yeah, so uh jody good doctor uh if she had been given the opportunity to be the doctor sure are there any other things about doctor who outside of jody whitaker or anything that are like maybe like top level gosh i wish they they could have done this or would have done this should have done this uh there's a character named donna (laughs) (laughs) and i don't want to ruin anything but donna gets done dirty and um needs to uh they need to fix it they need to fix it they need to donna is a fantastic character and perhaps in in my all-time favorite companions and they need they need to fix it (laughs) yeah yeah a a few for me i'm always a fan of more nudity so uh get get more nudity in there There's so many attractive people. Uh, let's just have them take all their clothes off. Um, uh, Matt Smith, uh, again, my favorite doctor. And I wish he would have been given a better exit of uh, his storyline. Uh, so slight spoiler there for you guys. Mm-hmm. But things I hope that they do in the future. Um, we get a little bit of it with Jody's doctor. Um, there's an episode where they go to India and then uh, soon to be developed Pakistan. It's during uh, partition which is really interesting era to explore. And as Americans, we don't, we're not really familiar with that part of it. No, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but it has been in a lot of content recently from like Miss Marvel to RRR. All of a sudden it's everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a really important part of human history that uh, needs to be told. I'm glad it is getting told. So, I, I, I more world history stories because mm-hmm. it's a British show. So they do a lot of British history, which makes sense. Uh, they're, uh, uh, I think there was, it was a show called timeless, uh, an American time travel show, which guess what? Focused on American mm-hmm. history. So, but because the show has been around for so long, I think they can uh, step off the British shores a little bit and do more world history shows. Like we got that one uh, in, about a uh, partition because there's a lot of, uh, of course, interesting humanities uh, stories that they could tell. Um, and we were talking earlier about um, some of the lost episodes of the first and second doctor. What they have done is they've recovered some of those, or rather they've rebuilt them in through animation. They had the audio of those stories mm-hmm. and then they've animated the, for the visual. So what I think would be really cool is to revisit some of those doctors with new adventures through that animation That'd style. Be fun. Uh, like that would be super fun. That's something I'd like to see the franchise do. Excellent. 
That sounds, yeah, that sounds like a great way to, to kind of reinvigorate and draw interest to the classic series in a way that nobody's experienced before. So then it's like everyone's kind of experiencing that for the first time. I do have just my one quick coulda, woulda, shoulda. If they absolutely. absolutely had to make like the blockbuster Doctor Who movie, which I feel like at times has been tossed around. Like you said, there was a 90s movie. I feel like uh, Joe Cornish, the uh, I think Attack the Block would be a guy who I think if it had to happen, could probably handle that material pretty well. Absolutely. Attack the Block also has Jodie Whittaker in it. So... <laughs> Yeah. So as we come to the end here, I do want to get into our power rankings here and I'll definitely let uh, Vincent Beth take the lead on this because I want to know who your top five doctors are. And I think we all have kind of spoken about our favorites. Um, Fred and I have said our piece and I think that's probably all we need to say as far as uh, our vote for Matt Smith. (laughs) So yeah, Beth, Vince, who would you put in your top five? Beth, take it away. Oh, boy. Um, It's tough. Um, Everybody always says Tom Baker, number one. I think a lot of people do. I can't disagree with that. Mm -hmm. I think then then probably Matt Smith. Then um, it's tough between the second and the third doctors. So that's uh, Patrick Troughton and uh, John Pertwee are both really, really good. Uh, Troughton slightly. Um, edges him out. He was the second doctor and he is the doctor that Matt Smith most closely based his doctor on. Oh, wow. And then, Oh man. So that's the top. I usually do the top three. So, uh, so I'm going to do four, 11, uh, two. And then I think I'm going to go 12. I actually really, really, really like Capaldi as the doctor. Like you said, I think he's the best actor in it. And, uh, boy, 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 then it's, then it's either going to be 10 or three. It's either going to be tenant or nope. I take that back. Then it's Eccleston. Oh, a list without tenant. <laughs> <laughs> without tenant in the top five, and when I'm going from the classic ones, if, sure. If just the if you told me to rank the five since we've come back, it would be a different. It would be a different ranking. Okay. Put those pepper flakes back in the cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but, but that's a, that's because there's not a lot of low cards in that hand. They've never poorly cast the doctor. No, the doctor good. has not had good scripts sometimes, but they've never cast the wrong person for the role. In my opinion. Great. Vince, what do you got? Uh, no surprise. Matt Smith, the 11th doctor comes in at the number one spot for me for all the reasons we've talked about. Uh, number two is the second doctor himself, Patrick Troughton, uh, a really cool era of doctor who really unique storytelling. Uh, they have an idea of what the show is at that point, And they take it into some really cool places and the costuming during the second doctor era, some of the best costuming ever. It's just so cool. And he's a wonderful doctor, has great companions with him. It's there's a lot of really cool stuff I'd recommend checking out from the second doctor's time. Uh, in the number three spot, I'll put the 12th doctor uh, because he's fantastic. In the number four spot, the fourth doctor. Uh, yeah, Tom Baker and his contributions to the show can't be um, expounded upon enough. He's such a, I mean, uh, again, he's the doctor for so many people rightfully so he he's he's fantastic and then for the number five spot is the 10th doctor excellent 
So you you snuck him in there at the end. <laughs> I, I yeah, I gave him a backdoor pass. Well, those are fantastic lists. Uh, it's been a lot of fun going through the very long history and with all the wibbly wobbly timey wimey that's involved with Doctor Who. We'd be remiss if we didn't at least say that twice in this episode. So. <laughs> As we come to the end here, I did want to give you all a chance to potentially plug anything for our plug segment. For those who are not familiar with Vincent Beth, they are also very talented comedians here in the Milwaukee community. And I would like to give you guys a chance to at least promote anything coming up for you. Yeah. Uh, Beth, Vince, anything you would like to plug besides well, your own podcast? <laughs> well, uh, well, I mean, dude, if, if you are like Dr. Who or get into Dr. Who because of this and you'd like to um, listen along with us, go ahead and check out our, our, our podcast. And, and Vince has put together a really cool website with it that you can search by doctor or by episode or by, you know, so you can, um, it's pretty dynamic. So that's pretty awesome. So this weekend I am, I'm performing in, Dracula Kinda Sorta, which is a comedic uh, version of the Dracula story. I'm um, appearing as Professor Van Helsing, nice. um, and it's at Next Act Theater in Milwaukee, so you can come check that out. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, wdwnpod.com is our website for who's doing what now, and we're just about everywhere you can find a podcast, so hit that subscribe button. And then yeah, Doctor Who, you can stream New Who on HBO Max if you want to follow along with us uh, as you listen to the pod. And then uh, there's a website called BritBox that has the classic Who. If you want to stream the classic Who, it's an easy way to get a hold of that stuff. Uh, and then yeah, I perform at a theater called the Interchange Theater, Check out interchangetheater.com to find out more about that. There's a show that I am often in called Professor Merriweather's Time Traveling Improv Show, because of course I am. <laughs> uh, so I'm not quite sure what our next show is, but uh, yeah, interchangetheater.com and uh, check out what we got. Excellent. Thank you both. Fred, anything you would like to plug yourself? Um, no, I'm getting married in like a month and 10 days. So I'm holding off all the shows. I keep getting asked. Everyone's like, Fred, let's book you. Let's get you in. We got sold out stuff. I'm like, no, I'm getting married. I'm off the books. (laughs) I will use my plug time just to ask one question. Y'all think, uh, Dr. Who knows Professor Merriweather? (laughs) My headcanon says yes. (laughs) But Professor Merriweather is a grifter, so he is—he would be a villain in the Doctor Who <laughs> That's the crossover we all need. Yes. Excellent. Well, Fred will be back on stage, so at the Interchange Theater uh, in good time. We'll obviously promote that in our following episodes here. Uh, last thing I will say is if you have any questions for the podcast regarding Doctor Who or otherwise, reach out to us at State of the Franchise Podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, probably more things in the future. Maybe we'll have a TikTok. I don't know yet. <laughs> We're going to explore that at some point. Uh, we have a Buy Me a Coffee page, though, buymeacoffee.com slash S-O-T-F. We are just looking for any donations uh, to help us keep the show going. All we're asking is you buy us a coffee, and that's a perfect donation. One-time fee is great. We also have a new subscription system, though. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, you can become a franchisee for $2 a month. Your donations will go to the equipment and getting a new computer for our episodes. Woo! New stuff coming in. Uh, and if we reach 10 subscribers, we are going to introduce 
franchise installments, one-off bonus episodes that you can listen to where we'll discuss the latest installments in popular franchises, maybe like Thor Love and Thunder, maybe like God of War Ragnarok, lots of Norse stuff, but maybe more (laughs) beyond that. (laughs) Um, But obviously anything that we would want most from you is just your listenership. And please check out Who's Doing What Now as well, the wonderful Doctor Who podcast hosted by Vince Figaro and Beth Lewinsky. Thank you both so much for being on this show. You guys are wonderful guests. Thanks Thanks a lot. This has been great. Thank you all for tuning in and see you next time. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Stay of the Franchise. If you like what you're listening to, please remember to subscribe and rate and review us. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for next time where we'll be discussing the popular restaurant chain, McDonald's. We'll have it your way. Well, actually, that's Burger King. Sorry. You're going to love it, though. (laughs) We'll see you then.